Hello, you lovely northern gypsies, and welcome along to season one, episode 18 of the sensational Whippets and Flat Caps. Season, My name. Season one. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to have, make it sound. Seasons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why are you just doing this year and then. Well, where, yeah, you, gonna, where, where are you going no. next year? Carry on. You know, Carry on. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, interesting. interesting. Very interesting. Or as, um, as that commentator, Barry Davis, said, Interesting, very interesting, as Francis Lee scored against his old team, Manchester City for Derby, which is actually the headline sequence for Match of the Day. Continue. Carrying on, my <laughs> name is Will Perry, and I'm joined this week by, um, yeah, two sewer rats, subhuman scum, John Wilkin and Mark Flanagan. Download, subscribe, it makes a huge difference to us to keep the shit the show wanker, on the road. Mate. Sorry? Sorry, carry on. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter as well. And we'll just retweet people praising us until you unfollow us at Whippets. That's all we do, isn't it? We have to up our Twitter game, really. All we do is just tweet, oh, great. It's a fantastic Mm. podcast. It's really great. You guys are great. Mm. So we're going to work on that. Um, Do you know what, guys? It feels like we are um, Oasis just before Nebworth. Um, On the cusp of something great. Yeah, on the cusp of something. Yeah, I mean, I'm Liam. John's an old. Mark is, is like a guitar technician or a, a mm. guitar uh, a tuner. Yeah. Or, or even Tony Carroll, that, that shit drummer who got kicked out because he couldn't drum and beat. As a drummer, as a drummer that's, that's pretty bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, they were just mates, weren't they? They were just yeah, mates yeah. from Manchester who liked getting high and they were like, do you know what? We're on something here because just of tap this, Noel. Tap this. And a little bit of Liam. Do this. Like, who would you replace Tony me was with? Like, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Who would you get instead of, instead of me? To play drums, yeah. You know, or, if or I was Ringo a, shit, song, a shit like drummer, did. a shit drummer, get me out. Who are you going to get in? What Zach Starkey? Um, no, same analogy. I mean, you don't really. Need, I just get one of those. I'd get it done electronically. Oh. Yeah. No, but I actually on that subject, Oasis. Did anyone watch? Because last night I was watching uh, Liam Gallagher playing the biggest festival, whatever it's called, biggest Cov- festival in Coventry. In Coventry. <laughs> wow. And he was <laughs> off his tits, and I, I, I was, I, I'm, all, I'm. F- Fascinated by Liam Gallagher. He was in Coventry. Because yeah. one thing we've got to do something to, to, to make it interesting. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but I mean, he got sent to Coventry. But um, well, <laughs> to play John, don't worry about that. So the reason he fascinates me, and because what we want to talk about in this episode is confidence, right? And he is he he to me just sums up confidence, whether it's misplaced or not. He is confidence. He is Ooh, confidence. I'm going to say it's arrogance. Yeah, but, yeah, no, but, they, but, onto arrogance. but they overlap. No, but they overlap. Do they? And, 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 you know, maybe drugs make you more confident than you actually mm. are. And you actually feel it sometimes. But so last night he was he was on stage and he started about sort of seven o'clock. It was still light. He started with a few numbers, you know, playing a few songs off his off his new album. It was like, mm, don't really give a shit. They're, they're pretty shit. And then, you know, just play some Oasis. And I love it how he's in this like intertwined battle with Noel Gallagher. Right? He can just sing Oasis songs and there's no real rights issue over it because they share them. So he's just singing like Morning Glory. And he's just like, and then literally the Coven- whole of Coventry is just rocking. Do you not Coventry. think that the Noel, Liam, it's just showbiz? They yeah. actually get on. No, they get no, on. No, no, I no. thought this. Actually. Nah, <laughs> slag each other off and get, get good press. They get on. They get on. Last people to get involved. Well, they sell it. It's like let's no. let's split up now and we'll sell twice the assets. No, no they're both they're both different to when they, they used to be. You think it's back, forced? You think back, back, to be, back in the oh, day, hey, I don't, I don't think they'd ever sell out, but I think they've changed. You think they, they don't I'm actually... not a big fan of Noel, in case you haven't noticed. Since he brushed me back, I guess. Yeah. Arcade, yeah. Well, he was actually playing the biggest, the same festival, but in a different city. Which in Warrington. Which is weird. In he was in like, where was he? Warrington. Was he? 
and and yeah. and, and Liam was in Coventry. But what I loved about it is progressively <laughs> they've over, really over, gone downhill. We, we talk about com- confidence, <laughs> right? And progressively over the night. Liam Gallagher, he had this kind of, uh, everyone's wearing them now these days, windbreakers, you know, these things, they're back, like these kind of A jacket. Yeah, no, but it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's not a full zip. It's not a full zip. It's a zip that goes from the heart upwards. I bet he zips it all the way up, though, and he, it? And he did it, he sort of zipped it, and he was like singing a few Oasis, Oasis songs in the band, and you know, they're all looking pretty cool. And then eventually, he just sort of put the hood over his head, and he was so fucked. He was just like, all the dreams are made when you change to the mirror. And he's had a hood over his face going absolutely bananas for about an hour and a half with people still going crazy. Mm. So, so, so confidence. Is that, like that confidence? It is I'm confidence. Not sure, I'm not sure you've just described confidence. It is confidence. I think you just described a chavvy man from Manchester <laughs> no, singing in he's Coventry. Not, he's a 45-year-old man. He's not, he's not a kid. That's not he? confidence. He's 45-year-old. He's got well, a ghoul you know, on his head and he's you know in what? the middle of Coventry off his tits. Do you know what? Do you know I, you what can't is, help but remind the guy. Do you know what is confident <laughs> about that is the actual, the first time he walked out onto a stage and did something like that yeah. or performed... For me, that is confidence. But what you just described then is a man in Coventry He's pulling his hood <laughs> over his head. I think that's abnormal. He's had a few abnormal. too many drinks of Zach Hardacre's protein shakes. He's just abnormal <laughs> behaviour. But look, yeah, it, no doubting Liam Gallagher is yeah. very, very confident. Very confident. Mm. Now, now, but was he always? Confident? I think he always was, man. And this, I, I don't know, we will move on and talk about some some other things. But this is the theme, and he, for me, he defies confidence. Defines or defies. Defines. Defies. You got to Yeah. You got to get the N in though. No, I just, yeah. He's he, it's 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 purely he's he fascinates me. I watch him like safari because I could just follow him around like a I could follow him around Big Brother style for like, again they'd probably be locked up for mm. for stalking, but. You just, I just find him. I find the guy absolutely. And where, if you were to follow him, where do you think he'd be? I follow him just even. Yeah, where would he go? Like there was one stage. There was one. Da, part, I, I, no, no, no. On a day, no, a day I, in the life of Liam Gallagher, I, where where are you going to follow? Well, him? Well, can I tell so you? He gets up in the morning. I I, I bumped into Ian Brown. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, um, in Bent's Garden Centre in Lee, Bent's and Garden I walked past him, <laughs> and he was looking at bird tables. Shut right? up. He was, and he had the half. What was bullshit. the Mac? What was I'm the Mac? I swear on my life, a, windbra- a windbreaker. He had a windbreaker on. Yeah. Swear on my life, he was looking he's at looking, bird on tables. his own, looking at bird tables in a garden. I don't know if he's on his own. I didn't stay. I wasn't See, hanging. That's around not very rock and roll, is it? In a garden but No, no, center, but basically. rock and roll is it's showbiz. They're not that rock no, and roll. No, no, no. It, no. Like Liam Gallagher. Tell me, Keith Richards is showbiz. Liam Gallagher will be in Aldi now buying some burgers <laughs> he absolutely won't he'll be in a pit of atrocity wondering what he's going to be doing tonight but he will not be in Aldi so hold on oh. let's go back to Ian Brown was in a garden centre yes it's you, a very good you, garden centre you swear on your mother's life he was trying to buy yes. a bird table on every person I care about in my entire life ever bird Ian table. Brown was in he, he grabbed a bird table, leaned it towards him, like a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's. I think he'd had that many narcotics that he thought that the bird table was a microphone, and he was playing to a geriatric crowd of flower lovers. God. In but they must bent. do. They must, they must do normal things. Like Liam Gallagher must have to Hoover his rug. Well, no. I, I think being showbiz sounds great, but actually, it's probably not that great, is it? Well, on that, job, subject, yeah. uh, on that subject, on that very subject, before we tap we, into confidence... Are we, ta- we name-dropping or what? Ah, who did he meet this weekend, Mike? Well, hold on, you got fucking pied by Noel Gallagher. Yeah. Who did he meet this weekend? Well, I've come out the other side. 
I've gone yeah. I've gone from a sealist to like a big dog hair. Go on, hit us, yeah. hit us up. And, and you, you've grown your hair back to, well, we're not, just for this occasion. We're not going to digress and, and talk about hair. Um, okay. I went down to London on the weekend Yeah. Uh, with Luke Do you get Burgess. a when you go down there? You kind just, of, do people understand you? Let me talk and then when you yeah. speak, I'll let you speak. Carry on. I went down to London on the train on Saturday with Luke Burgess. And you just, said Luke Burgess twice. Justin Horro, I'm starting again because okay. he interrupted me. Sorry. And Justin Horro, who plays for the uh, Wakefield Trinity former Wildcats. Manly. Former Manly in Catalan. I told you that earlier. Uh, um, we had a bit of an afternoon in London and went for a walk through Hyde Park <laughs> with one Russell Crowe. You went for a walk? So you, walk, you walked through in, Hyde you Park into him. and into Knightsbridge, then into Chelsea and had dinner with Russell Crowe. Yeah, but you so went for dinner. The, yeah, the walk is the least remarkable part. So did you meet him on the walk? Did you meet him on the walk? He was outside the hotel, the swanky hotel that he was staying in. By pure chance? No, we agreed to meet him there. Okay. Who? You? You just got his number, did you? Hey, Ross, I'm coming down. Let's watch Gladiator again. He gave us all South Sydney Rabbitohs baseball caps on arrival. Mm. I said, no, thanks, I'm a West Tigers why man. He, why did he come over with a bag of South Sydney He takes it everywhere and leaves it and just gives it out to, to spread the message That's of weird. the Rabbitohs. Yeah. He'll, he'll take, he took about four or five hats out and he gave, gave one to the waitress. What is the message of the Rabbitohs? Just, um... Great hats. Just great hats. Yeah. Great rugby league. Great rabbit. <laughs> Which was actually on the day where Tom Burgess and George Burgess scored. Yeah. You've been doing your research, you? haven't you? No, I watched the game. Um, yeah, John is showing us a picture of Russell He Crow looks very Wiggy. different now. He looks um, like Forrest Gump. Mm. But when he did, when he when he went mental and did that the loads of marathon, he looks shot. a bit like Uncle Albert off the Only Fools. Yeah, that's exactly he what he looks like. He does. Yeah, Uncle Albert. Albert. <laughs> he looks like Uncle Albert for Only Fools. He's got a you know very what, very good beard covering. That's uh, got to be for a role. He, he said it was, but mm. I wasn't was he sure. Playing? He's playing Albert. Yeah, he might be. <laughs> <laughs> Only Fools and Horses too. Who played? Who played Del Boy and Rodney? I think what? you and Luke, by the looks of that picture. Who's Del Boy? So go on. No, we want to know more. Deep what's happened here? So, so how long did you spend with him? A few hours. We, yeah. we, is this the first time you met him? First time. Because Luke's yeah. pretty tight with him. But were you were you starstruck? Were you starstruck by him? Um, no, I was fine. I was you yeah. know just a regular person, just like yeah. John and I are. I know you don't get starstruck yeah. anymore. But what did you ask him? Um, just he just, he's, ma- he's mad on rugby league. I didn't get a chance to ask him if he's going to come on the podcast, but we spoke about. It didn't really come up in conversation. It would have been a bit weird. We did yeah, say, sorry, I don't want to hear that story about Ryan Gosling and the, the last scene you, you, you shot at the Nash guys. Can you come on a, a regional rugby league podcast? We're, not, to we're, by we're, we're national, um, we're, 60 people. we're global, we're worldwide. And when we're, when Kelvin Fletcher was on, uh, whatever episode that was, we did talk about getting Russell Crowe onto the yeah, podcast. Yeah, we did. And uh, I don't think Kelvin made a great impression with Russell. Yeah, well, we've got to be he, careful because Kelvin's very sensitive. He came up in conversation <laughs> and um, Luke nudged Russell, Russell and said, oh, you remember Kelvin, right? And he just said, yep. Yeah. <laughs> And then change the subject. Sweet oh, baby Jesus, how I'd love to tell the story, but wow. we just can't. Can we data protection? We just can't tell, we that, can't story. tell that story. If you ever Why do, can't meet we Kelvin tell that Fletcher, story? I'd love to tell. No, because the, story. Russell, no, the reason we wouldn't tell that story on this is because it might affect Russell Crowe's opinion of Kelvin. He I already hates you. He already hates you. And the people's, the people, the listeners' opinion of Kelvin. I know. Gives a no, shit but about it's Kelvin's story. Don't worry about that. I'd love to tell it, but he doesn't. Anyway, we had a really nice dinner. Where did you go? Went to an Italian restaurant in. Cold. Uh, La Familia, in which means the family. Chelsea yeah. in Italian. In Chelsea, um, we're in like a little terrace out the back, and mm. there was another actor in there. Did Russell uh, pay? 
he did pay. I offered. I offered. To chip. He paid for the whole thing. Yeah, I offered to chip then. in, and he, I think he appreciated it. He went, "No, keep your fiver, Mark." Did he pay in a Put sense of like, "Don't worry, I'm fucking better than you guys, and I'll just, I want to, I'll pay for this," or was it yeah. more like yeah. a really kind heart? It looks gesture. like he's been eating a lot of pasta. I think he has carb loaded. Uh, but it was at the Japanese actor who was in Inception and The Last Samurai was in the same restaurant, and they had a little bit of bromance. He's, so he's Hollywood actually Sparks Sam- the, uh, he's Samoan. He's not Japanese. He's Samoan. The Last Samurai, the main character in Last you Samurai, who's in, who's in Inception. I'll Google. You just Samoan. keep telling the story. I, I don't think he is because I, I, okay. I spoke to him. Then what is. happened? He said Kanichiwa. I said, see. Okay. See. Yeah, I want Spanish. Right. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> in an Italian so, so, restaurant. So, so did you go out with Russell Crowe? Did you go on a night out, or was that the end? No, of- we had a, we had a few drinks, and then he he had a big night the um, on the Friday, so he went home, and then. We kicked on. No, not that guy. Okay, there is a Japanese guy, but that's not him. Um, um, kicked on. Is this one? Yes, that guy. Yeah. What's he called? I don't he's called Ken Wakan- Watan- Watanabe. Watanabe. And he's a Japanese actor. Yeah, he's not from Samoa. He's 58 not, years old. You're getting mixed Samoa. up with Lama Tazi, who plays for Salt. No, he's from Samoa. Samoa. <laughs> he's check. actually born, um, well, no, I thought it said Nigeria. It says Nikata in Japan. Yeah. Really? But he lived in Samoa then. Yeah, yeah. He did he? I don't think so. He did. So yeah. with the, the Come on, finish off the story. So, no, we had a lovely dinner. Uh, yeah. Is he a nice guy? Because everyone nice says he's a bit of a wanker. Um, no, I found him. You got to take people as you meet them. I found, oh, I found him it. to be um, a good That's what guy. With you, really, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Spoke well about rugby league. He was yeah. very interested in Super League, and we discussed. Contracts. Contracts. Could you get over to the Rabbits no, to play for no, 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 South Sydney? He does not want me to play for his club. Uh, lovely evening. Yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. It, it, I mean, a night with Russell Crowe would be very interesting, wouldn't it? It I'd was good. That I'd only had a couple of beers. Like if so I, you, I so could have got a bit giddy. And so you hate this, John? John, John hates kind of. He's already. He's already said to me, "It's like oh, you guys are like celebrity whores, hunters." No, you know, I I some people say. just come into your lap, don't they, Mike? <laughs> Mike, yeah, <laughs> Mike, Matt. It does. It does win. <laughs> Huh? No, but John hates hates the celebrity. I don't. Of, you know, you do, you do. I don't. You do. You, do. You, don't. you hate celebrity culture, but you don't have a problem with celebrity. No, per not se. at all. No, I've not got a problem. Russell Crowe's like mega successful actor, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, in his own right. What do you mean in his own right? Well, as soon as independent of, he's not tried to promote himself. Please, we call him Rusty, but you know, through any other means than him being a brilliant actor. Or he's yeah. a brilliant actor. Yeah. So, the end. All right, what's wrong with Ollie Mers? Ollie Mers is a good singer okay did, so did you swap numbers at all with Rusty or no but Oli Oli yeah. Ma- wait, 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 wait. If I'm I don't give a shit no Oli Mers and Mark Wright are less talented than Russell Crowe listen if you think I'm interested in Oli Mers well you brought Crow, him up stop talking about him to wind him up look at him he's already bitten I'm not, I'm not. he's got a hook in your mouth you're never going to meet him no again question. So did you get Russell Crowe's number you're never going to meet him again did he, um, we're meeting up at Soccer Aid did you get his uh, <laughs> exactly you did just said there yeah. and there you go <laughs> did he get his number he'd probably like a coffee at Pot Kettle back if he was in town actually That'd okay, I think he'd probably pie you like uh, Noel Gallagher but well then, Russell didn't so we're, we're catching up next week yeah confidence Conf- confidence yeah. so yes. I'm quite I'm quite a confident chap no but, are you but can I back it yeah. up is that, what you no. talk, is that what you want to talk about confidence yeah, no, backing it up well, self, misplaced confidence I'll tell you yeah. an example of what I think is amazing confidence it's Latan Ibrahimovic the mm. footballer on the outside on the offset he looks too confident full of shit mm. but he's so supremely talented that I think you know go put it on you you're a bit of a maverick you can back it up no where's that no what my I'm fascinated in confidence not not oh, in where that like that's the end result flash yeah. Zlatan 
you you've gone to the absolute end. Yeah. Right. That is the end of the train tracks. Zlatan, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, there's sort of a handful of people at the end of that Liam track. Gallagher. Yeah. Well, Max maybe. Flanagan. But where does that come from? Where is confidence born? God, like, is, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it nature? No, do, oh. do you have it within you as a young person to be confident? Are there certain people more inclined to be confident? Do you get confident, Will, because you're good at something? Well, what do you think? I think that's nurture. I don't think you're born with it. I think that's your environment. It's either your parents but, pumping your tyres up, telling you how good you are, or okay. you, you kind of trying to 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 make something of yourself. So I, what, I think a trademark think? Of, com- uh, uh, of success is confidence. Right, it is. So anybody who has been successful or is the best in the world at what they do, have confidence. But on the flip side to that, there's people who are not successful who try and portray confidence and who actually have something. self-belief. Yeah, and it doesn't... It, it, what, it's the biggest sort of hoax in, in modern the modern world is people try and replicate confidence now in the modern world. Mm. So they replicate confidence in what they project, how they behave how they act because maybe Cristiano Ronaldo might do it but there's a bit of a difference in there that Cristiano Ronaldo is genuinely so they're copying successful confidence, it, I think yeah co- confidence has become one of the most mimicked things in the modern world I see people try and replicate the behaviours of successful people which looks like confidence they try and replicate that and it and it's not true it's not in the essence of it it's not true does that matter does it, why, why, why have you got some well, beef with that no I haven't got beef with it as such. It's more of an, an an observation. I actually... Confidence for me can be the most integral thing that can help you perform well in sport. I, I think if you're very talented, but fundamentally you're not confident or you lack confidence, I do not think you will ever reach your potential. But equally the other way around, if you uh, didn't have much talent, but you're uber confident, then you're disguising. Yeah, but but no, I think. Talent. Yeah, uh, yeah, but again, where where can you go with that? If you are talented and you have confidence, and you go a long grows, way with 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 disguised out there confidence when they don't actually have anything to back it up. They go a long way. But they do. Yeah, you can way, do a long it? way. But what we're talking about is the absolute upper echelons of sport, the best of the best. They they are confident, but what they've got is a confidence that's born out of performance and what interests me actually and I, I, I'm not saying I know the answer like I don't know the answer is where that came from yeah. were they confident when, well, when they, when they were you. six seven eight years old started playing football was Cristiano Ronaldo where did that confidence come from because we all come from we all come from the same place don't we we're all born well, you're from Hull no we're all well you're quite similar to your mum your mum's very strong minded she just kind of does what she wants and you're, yeah. and you're similar to that aren't you <clears throat> And yeah, I, I, as growing but, up, I was I was like that. My, I used to tell my cousin I was going to be a professional rugby player when I was twelve. Yeah, but he, you would have had your he, dad he, telling you you yeah, can do anything you want. Yeah, but I was never that good. But I just knew I was going to get there. Your I dad was, would have been a big part of that. No, not really. He was he was quite supportive. He was happy for me to play whatever sport I wanted. But I used to tell my cousin Matthew, who was my best mate, um, that I was going to be a professional rugby player, and he was like, "Oh, well, there's four or five better players in your team," and I was like, "Yeah, but don't worry about that. I'll get there." And that's yeah. that was probably, I don't know if that's nature or nurture, but yeah. sometimes strong-mindedness and a, 
I think it's probably a will to just succeed, isn't it? Yeah. But I, I did. I was never like that. Were you not? Ever. I was never like that. I you never, weren't confident as a kid. I never, ever believed I was going to play professional rugby. Really? Never. No. I watched it. I watched it and I wanted to do it, but I never believed it. From what age did he want to do it when you watched it? Um, well, sort so of 9, 10, 11. Started. That's when you wanted to be a professional? When you no, no. I started probably thinking about it well, but you watch I never, it on TV and that never wanted kind of I never I never ever believed I would actually become a professional player so now, you I was a, I was a confident kid uh, in some ways yes but but this is my, the thing with me is my confidence I think came out of me understanding that nobody's harsher a, a critic or of an observer of me than myself mm. as a 10 year old kid I was harsher on myself than anybody else could be and 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 that didn't give me confidence but it gave me drive drive yeah and it gave me then also i felt nobody could say anything to me that would upset me more than what i've already said mm. to myself but you have to have that, I, but, surely as a professional sport you do professional but whatever you know if you are there's there's like a perfect storm in there athletically talented mm. you've got the right mentality you're confident with it then that can spiral upwards and upwards and upwards and you can become one of the best in the world at what you do. But the flip side to that is you can have a couple of those ingredients and for me, confidence is the only bit. You can be talented, athletically gifted. Confidence is the only thing that can go missing. It can fluctuate with time. Yeah. And we're going to speak to you know, Michael Vaughan, former England cricket captain, about... You know where confidence goes. What do you but, do but when it surely goes? Surely you're going into a territory where people will will use confidence as a mask because they have insecurities in their life, right? And I'm not and, and therefore that what I'm saying to you is that perhaps it's not this isn't a bad thing. People having confidence because they they are trying to mask up problems that they've had, insecurities that they've had over a period of time to to get some strength to get to a position where they are actually successful. But but, but that's not confidence with... on a on a in a sporting arena is different because there's nowhere to hide. I don't think I think it's great that we're talking to Michael Vaughan about confidence because on the cricket pitch as a batsman, yeah, I don't think you can fake that. I think that's it's it's there to see with you with the, your actions and and how you perform and and I think it's easy to see how players' confidence goes and comes with time with with runs and performance and it's it's so evident and in an isolated instant like like cricket is with every shot you take and it's similar to boxing I suppose because it's just you on your own out there I, I think society mimics successful people right so, is that a bad thing though? You, no, no, like, no. It's, it's, I'm like not, you're no, no, it's, it's an observation Will yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying it's wrong or right mm. this is what it is we get actors celebrities sports people who behave in a certain way now, society now feels fit that they should mimic those behaviours. You know, here's a picture of me looking great. Here's me doing something fantastic. Here's me, you know, what, oh, we're, what, also what, what we're doing is... Look at me, look at me. No, <clears throat> no but what we're doing is replicating the behaviours of success. But when you are genuinely confident, and when you are genuinely... Some people can't be, John, that's what I'm no, saying. No, but they can, you can be. It's, but... You, of course you can be. You can be genuinely confident in what you have to offer without being false or without without over-trading your confidence. Because for me in life, one thing is 
I think that most unattractive is overconfidence. When you were trying to project, you know, levels of performance or levels of behaviour above where you're at in life. I think that that's one of the biggest failings of the modern world. In sport, you, you have to be confident to a certain extent. And confidence comes and goes with form. And I've seen players who have everything, but the missing ingredient is, ultimately, when it comes to the crunch, they do not believe in themselves. And and, 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 and I think that would be consistent with the, the mindset of the everyday man. Is yeah, but that's we all? That, that's where I think it's different. We all you, have self doubt. Yeah, we all have self doubt. Yeah, every every single person mm. in life has self doubt. But this is what interests me: is do those people, Messi, you know, Ronaldo, Roger Federer, who are the best of the best, do they have it? And I, I honestly think they are the rare breed. You know, Serena Williams, Serena Williams. These people, are there the people who just never, ever have self-doubt? They've just had that confidence. But I think it's very different. I think it's like Mark said. Mark just said a minute ago, um, probably one of the most interesting things he said in the last 18 weeks. Thank you very much. He, he said uh, that it, 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 it's dependent. In sport, you, you're exposed. You're under a magnifying glass. So if you are Michael Vaughan and you're out there at Lords and it's third ball and you've just, you, know, you, you need to dig in and you're, you're behind in the test match or whatever, or you're... You're you're a halfback and you're under a high ball and there's some fucking massive guys running onto it. You know that that your ability therefore plays into your to the amount of confidence that you can yeah. have because you have to have the ability, right? Okay. But if you're talking about the everyday man and you're talking about, say, for example, in my field of of work, presenting and broadcasting, I, the, the, some of the people I work with, Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, presenter wise, and and actually presenters and broadcasters. I was reading this um, article the other the other this week. And um, and it was about how they translate to uh, it's a commonplace for psychopaths <laughs> presenting, yeah. radio presenting, TV presenting, broadcasting, because it's essentially schizophrenia, isn't it? You're in front of a microphone. Oh, look, I'm so comfortable in front of a microphone because I don't have to be myself. I can portray this. You know, it's, it's like acting. I can portray yeah. this character. It's it's what an actor would tell you is Stanislavski and Grotowski, where you're actually pretending to be. You're not just pretending to be. You are that person. Yes, yeah. and then as soon as you come away from the microphone, you go back to your weasel life and whatever, and you're just a shit house yeah. amongst yeah. all the other people. But then that—that's you've spoke about there an awareness of self, like you, like concept of who you are, and what you have to offer is like really, I think, again, very interesting, because the people who are that great at something, who are that amazing, world class at something. <laughs> Their skill becomes intertwined with their personality. That that is them. Mm. But for for some of us, and I put myself in that category. I've got me, and I've got this professional sportsman me, and and those two people are not the same. Like they aren't the same. So you're saying there's an element of schizophrenia massively. With, yeah. But 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 I, I'm not saying I'm acting when I'm rugby John. But it is a complete different side to me than. Myself, because you're going through the mechanics of what you know is success is going to get you to success. Yeah, so rugby John would be outwardly quite confident. Um, you know, I, I'd say strong in what he thinks and feels, but actually away from it, I'm 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 more of a so, I'm a softer character than what rugby brings out of me. I'm 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 not that guy. So it's interesting that you you bring up that in broadcasting is broadcasting brings out those sort of 
real um I think it, it splits your character up, doesn't it? We've all got extrovert sides of ourselves and we've also got introverted sides of ourselves. Well, sport naturally brings out the extrovert in people mm. and that is where the confidence lies, I think, in my in my personality. But then you have different elements of confidence, don't you? So you have people that are essentially the Jack Russell, which I might be accused of, the one who's like, oh, is there, in everyone's faces, no matter how, how big they are or whatever. Like they me, do like me, like me, yeah, pathetic. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but like, I'm not a, I'm not comparing to myself to that, but in general, there's that Jack Russell type of confidence, isn't there? Yeah. Where it's just like, da, 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 a bit like Liam Gallagher, da, da, in your face, da, 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 this. But actually inside, you're probably a pretty decent guy, whatever, but you're a bit uh, excitable and da, da, da. Yeah. And then there's That's that. exactly it, actually. And, yeah. No, seriously, no. And, and like, then, on, the outside, on the outside, you, you do project to that and then you are right no but you're a lot deeper than um than you project than the pantomime villain yeah but then no my point being then then there's the other side of confidence where you have someone that potentially is super skilled at what they do and is is incredible at what they do very um sort of um uh, what's the word i'm looking for they're, ver they're very methodical about yeah, how methodical in how in yeah. how in how they portray that confidence how they use their confidence within yeah. their skill set within yeah. their profession but they're, they're more than happy to sit back. They're, they're kind of observers, foyers within their conference. They'll sit yeah. back, they'll watch, even on a sports field or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever field it is. They'll sit back and they'll watch and they'll watch and then but they'll an, attack with their isn't own that, Isn't that interesting that professionally and personally, we probably know people who fall into both those categories. Mm. People who project confidence, but when you break it down, they're not as much. Mm. People who don't portray confidence, but you 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 look at them and think they're good and, and it's sort of a, a subconscious sort of confidence. And I, and I think those are background sort of understandings of, of, of where everybody's at. That's human nature. It's how we judge people and, and speak to people and you're always making those judgments. But one of the reasons I thought this would be interesting to talk about today is the, the 2018 Champions League final is the Liverpool goalkeeper whose name is... Loris Carius. Carius. Loris Carius. So Loris we, Carius. we saw within an 80-minute period... I thought 90 minutes. 90 minutes. Yeah. It's always 10 minutes. 90, no, no, it was 80 because the first 10 he played well. It was fine. <laughs> Before he rolled it out and did the yeah. weirdest thing in the history no, of sport. We saw within a performance, confidence disappear. Yeah. Disappear. Well, let me just stop you, just pause you there because there'll be a lot of Liverpool fans listening going, what the fuck are you talking about? Because he's been pretty shit quite consistently. This this guy yeah. and this isn't a, this isn't a, no I know what you're saying but this isn't a case of someone on the has, it, has he though very unlikely has he though very will will that is that is outrageous that is outrageously off the mark John. from you John no, so has he done that twice no. in one game any other game no. twice in a game John, John. exactly twice he in a game not, is ridiculous he is one of the best keepers in the world isn't he he's not he must be no John he's not he must be he's not. Well, so he's not in the top 40 keepers no. in the world? 40, 40 yes, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Top 20? Yeah. No. Top 20? No, he's not. He's, he's not. not in the top 20 keepers in the world. No. He's not. Anyway. He's not. No, my point is... But my point so is, he is, but so, right, because he's not... He makes he, mistakes regularly on a high-profile basis. But has he ever done two in the not same two, game? but I mean... Well, Jesus, that, that, that's, no. No, but as that's the Klopp, point that John's going to make, his confidence. Klopp said the second was just, a, was just a product of the first, wasn't it? So it's confidence. So that's... Yes, so, so that's exactly what he was that, getting at. Not, exactly. not many people like Gareth Bale are going to shoot from 40 yards and expect to score and it goes well, through salad fingers' hands. After whatever happened in the first goal, his confidence has dipped magnanimously. So then that's led to the second one. football fans listening will know that Loris Carrier has made some very yes. high profile equally as shocking errors as that yeah. in the Premier League before right. and given the chance, okay. so, given so a there, therefore right his ability to deal with that has been sort of masked covered up 
over the course of the season then. He's he's had to deal with crisis, like crises of confidence mm. throughout the year, mm. hasn't he? Mm. So he's made mistakes, Will. He's been heavily criticised throughout John, the year. this comes no. back to what we've been talking about where we said, and we've said it three times already, no, Will, 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 you don't Will. have the ability to back up your confidence Will. And, in his, and when you put Will. him in the scales, you're not his ability to is too far down. No, you're Will. not listening. No, his ability is not good enough. Yes, right, that's fine. That's fine. But that's what, why he's made the mistakes. No, he, not, he hasn't. He's not good he, enough. He is good enough. He is good enough because he can, he can do all of the fundamental, simple things that a goalkeeper should do to make him a great goalkeeper. Yeah, forty, we said. No. (laughs) So right, okay. So had he not had the confidence dip, would you think he would have saved the second goal? Yes, he he, he would have saved that. Exactly. Of course, anyone should have saved. Anyone should. No, I'm listening to it. Anyone should have saved the second goal. That's not. I, I understand that. And obviously, as I said, it was a product of what he did. From from what he did after whenever it was, 15, 20 minutes, when he when he rolled the ball into Benzema's feet, thinking that the guy that Benzema was offside and gave that away. For for the next eighty minutes, all he's thinking about is that. Well, before Gareth Bale has scored that second goal, yeah. or his yeah. second goal. But that that in performance, this is this is again. Look, there's there's background confidence, is that, or there's background belief in yourself mm. that we all have. So we're bumbling around. We're sat in a basement today. And so it's like, a great basement. No, but but there's an element of just day-to-day belief in yourself and concept of who you are. But you're very what isolated you as a goalkeeper. As a goalkeeper, you're ice, you are. Yeah, but there's goalkeepers not different, but more so. If we, so, if we had him here two weeks ago, sat in the basement, would that guy be confident? Um, the keeper, well, the Liverpool but, but John, keeper. John, you are, you are, you would are. Would he be of, confident? You, you, you are well, no, glossing over the fact that he has no, made no, some very not, high not, profile. You're not aware of. I'm going to tell you. No, I'm aware of. I'm aware of. But what I'm saying is, if he was sat here two weeks ago, would he have been confident? Yes. Um, yes. He, he would have been more confident than he is now. And so yeah. if you, yeah, exactly. But we sit him here now. After that, is he confident? No. No. And why isn't he? Because he's fucked up on a massive global stage, and he's never played for the club again. But what's different? What's changed? Okay, what has happened? fundamentally anything in his brain wired up differently? No. Has anything changed? No, but, no. but as, it, as, as right, I, have, as have his methods you, changed? His, his his ability right now and four days ago is exactly the same, which wasn't good enough for that football club and on that stage. But that's easy for you to say, man. No, it is. Nah, nah, I, nah, I'm going to pull good. you. I'm going to call you. He may he may well be good enough. He's it's easy. Years old. He may well be good. Right. Enough. So why weren't He's you before now. the Champions League final saying this guy is not confident or good enough to play for Liverpool? Well, yeah. Everyone has, John. You were before the game. Pretty much everyone you has. Were going, Again, I'm going to draw you back to think facts that you're not aware of that this guy has been under the microscope. No, I know he's been under the microscope. Not good to, but and, it's the, and his own fans would tell you that. So, yeah. But what what I'm saying is he he has a confidence, doesn't he? He had an underlying confidence in what he does. He does. And that, that maybe has been eroded okay. over time if by he's mistake. Good enough, the manager would keep him there this summer. Correct. If he's good enough, he'd think. Do you know what? It's, it's no, no, but he's not. He no. can't. He and can't he, stay he there, there next year. No, because no. you know football, so you just you, you look. Will he you know he's not going to be there? Yes, we all know yeah. that. But he in in that game in that eighty minutes, he displayed a catastrophic drop in his ability to do his job. And why was that? Confidence. It was all about the confidence <laughs> it was. because he's not good enough. It was. Um, it wasn't no no sorry well right performance is like one thing it is one thing but like if you truly believe what you do how you perform does not affect that if you believe in yourself so how many pro- high profile errors can you make before people have to say do you know what you're going to be good one day do you but you're think, not good enough now 
How 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 in, in for example in, in rugby league? Well, this is how many high profile errors would you have to make before the coach is, goes? Do you well, know this what? is the belief thing, isn't it? Either you get back and do it again, which he has done. I give up, him, but he's, he's or, made or mistakes you, again. You make when we're doing question time. No, you make <laughs> you make a catastrophe about what, how you've behaved and performed, yeah. or you move on. And there's too many people in life will portray confidence when they haven't got it. I agree and, to a certain degree. And, yeah, and, and there's there's people in life who he is one of. Whether you agree or not, he's, he's up there in the top 40 keepers in the world. Will, that is not to be sniffed at. <laughs> so is it? name 41 it's easy. keepers who are better than him. But anyway, no, no. We agreed to it before. No, so. we didn't. I didn't. Yeah, you did. So, so he has He's well within his right to carry an element of confidence into that game. Okay. Listen, if you are just tuning in, we haven't been snorting cocaine all day. We, we, we are talking about um, some serious issues. And one, one thing I'd like to talk about is, um, well, the fact that. Salford lost again. There isn't there is a there is a different twist Cosses. to the story. Yeah. I met Dr. Devil. Yeah. Um Dr. Devil is the Salford Red Devils uh mascot. Uh, he's a devil. Yeah. He's about five foot. He's not a real devil, I think he's, he's not a real. He's a devil. man dressed up as a devil. He, are, they re- are, they, are devils real? It's another whole debate, isn't it? Don't get the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> he's in the top forty devils. He's in the top. <laughs> was he confident? Yes, he was. Is he in the top forty devils? <clears throat> I'm not so sure. But uh he probably was when he had his moustache. So anyway, we were in the box and uh Terry Flanagan was there. Uh <laughs> oh, no, <it's> <coughs> bless you. And um in came the devil, sort of pre match. And um, he came in. He didn't have his moustache on. There was about ten of us there. So I asked the devil where his moustache has gone because I know John, you've made a, a big point about the fact that on Google Earth you can see the moustache on Marwan Kukash's driveway. You can on his front door if you've got it? his postcode, which is M. No, it's not <laughs> M. What? Sixty. One, two. <laughs> so I asked him, and he obviously the devil can't talk um, because probably if he did talk, he'd be like, "I like me." And so is that how the devil would talk, like Liam Gallagher? Salford oh, devil, isn't he? Anyway, he did this kind of he did this kind of shaving motion. So I said, "Well, so you, sh- so you shaved your, your your goatee, your goatee," and he so I'd like shave, shave, but it's gone. The, the the crux of the matter are that it's gone. But but what I'd like to say is that Doctor Devil has followed us on Twitter, Whippets and Flat Caps. Brilliant! What an achievement for Whippets and Flat Caps. <laughs> and uh, she's a friend of the podcast. He's probably followed us at Whippets RL. Yeah. Um, and um, and that's the story of the devil. So if we, but if anyone, does, story. if anyone does know Thanks where that. that goatee has gone, mm. uh, we still need to get. To it's the disappeared bottom. with Salford's confidence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that's very true. Yeah. Jesus Christ. No, it's true. With in team sports like that, it, it, momentum mm. it feeds into things, and mm. when you're in a negative sort of spiral. Well, you've got negative, things. you need two positives. Just two one to cancel negative. out the first negative. negative, and then one just because you need a positive. Um, in terms of this, all fits into conference. We will just, you know, segue the Doctor Devils talk. But Warrington against Hull, I found fascinating. For can, can you guess why I found that fascinating? No, no? aggression, no. violence. No. It, was, it was less the game. It was more the story around the. You know, I'm, I'm more of a sort of. I'm more of an artist, more of a lover, more of a mm. um, philanthropist. Well, it's charity work. Yeah, yeah, I do that as well. Um, <laughs> you, got, you, got, you got that wrong, didn't you? Can you guess why? What's the word I was looking for? I can you guess why? No. Go on. Tell because us. the Warrington coach, who's called Steve Price, well done. He's also coming on Five Live Show with me this week with Justin Holbrook. Well done. Yeah. So I'll give you a call. And it's see all if about you. Go on. Yeah, it is. Um, 
he read his side poetry at half time when they were 12 now down are you aware of this no just nodding yeah you are aware of this no so steve price he read them a poem by ebenezer elliot steve <laughs> price is an aussie right e -E. yeah ebenezer elliot uh, is an English poet, or was an English poet. He was actually uh, born in 1781 and died in 1849, so he had a good innings. Uh, he was known as the Corn Law Rhymer uh, for his leading the fight to repeal the Corn Laws, which were causing hardship and starvation among the poor. Farmers, yeah. Which is, again, which I find is the, the connection between Steve Price and Ebenezer Elliott. S slightly strange, but interesting and fascinating at the same time. Um, and we talk about factory owners quite a lot on this podcast, John, don't we? He was a factory owner, but though a factory owner himself, he single-mindedly um, devoted to the welfare of the labouring classes that won him a sympathetic reputation long after his poetry ceased to be read so it ceased to be read and um i'm going to give you an example he hasn't he's, he sort of said he read this at half time they were 12 nil down they ended up they came out and they won 30 12 at home so was help. it all down to the poem he's written quite a few poems but this is the poem that i think it was <laughs> are you ready Go on. Yeah. yes please <clears throat> day like i souls is fiercely dark what then tis day we sleep no more the cock crows <laughs> two arms away they came they come they knell is rung or all is them wider the march their pomp is flung of gold and gem what coloured hound of lawless sway to famine dear what pensioned slave of attilia leads in the rear come they from scythian wilds afar <laughs> our blood to spill were they the livery of the Caesar? this do his will nor tasseled silk nor epaulet, nor plume, nor torse, nor splendour gilds, or sturdy met. Our foot and horse, but dark and still What's we inly glow, condensed his ire. Strike, tawdy slaves, and ye shall know our gloom is fire. In vain we'll pump you out, evil powers, He's insults awful. the land, wrong vengeance and the course Nobody's of ours, and God's right hand. Madmen, the trample Stop into it. snakes, the Stop warmly clod like fire beneath their feet, awkwards their sword of God. Behind, before, above, below, to rouse the brave. Wherever we go, they make a foe or find a grave. That's Ebenezer, isn't That's it? good. A bloke from University of New South Wales. This, is my, was... this is my favourite piece of Aussie poetry. <laughs> so they had 20 seconds to come up with a poem about Timbuktu. Up first, the uni university student. Oh, he's recording. <clears throat> and he goes, On the lonely desert sands, crossed a lonely caravan. Men on camels, two by two, destination, Timbuktu. And the crowd went wild. Are you beauty? That's bloody fantastic. 20 seconds. And then Country Bumpkin's turn steps up to the plate and he goes, Tim and I, off hunting went, found three girls in a pop-up tent. They were three and we were two, so I bucked one and Tim bucked two. <laughs> Very good. That was a lot better than Will. <laughs> Again, Mark missed the point because that was the poem that was read in the Warrington dressing room. Oh, brilliant! Well, in in, in, in its entirety, about half time. It, can't, it must poem. have been a, a piece of it. If, if, what I'm saying is, if your coach LSD, read you that poem in, at half time, what would your would, reaction be? Well, it has to be on, in context, doesn't it? But well, there's no. But, what's the context between that? It's, it's a poem. I, don't, I wasn't really listening. I switched. Well, off. Yeah, because you weren't. You didn't get. You probably didn't understand. The, no, I didn't no. understand the words. I understand. Yeah. Well, I can't I, help you understand the words of sort of 18th century poetry. But that was what I, happened I think this week. Yeah. Words can be really powerful and how you organise the words, but then understanding what who you are communicating with can be quite 
<laughs> how many of the people in the Warrington dressing room? Is that room? not a last if, straw? If your coach stands up and reads you that, and, pe- and people like you know, slightly simple people like Mark go, like, "What are you doing? We don't make sense." Like, yeah. That could go one of two ways, couldn't it? It could, yeah. And it, but it worked. It went the right way. <laughs> but it went very much. But the right are you way. sure he told that in its entirety? Yes. No, are we we attaching success with those words though, because we do this in sport, don't we? So half time, a Churchillian team talk, and then you go out and win. It was that team talk. Was it really? Mm. Or was it the actions in the game that changed? So you go in at halftime, right? And the coach gives you a talk, right? For me, then, what's his job? Is to cue you up on the things that you need to do for you to win. So some sort of emotional rousing speech is fine, but ultimately it comes down to actions. So if you're trying to get effort out of your players, then a big Churchillian speech might work. But... (laughs) You know, if it's if effort's not an issue, then it's got to be about detail and actions. Mm-hmm. And for me, half-time should be about actions. What are we going to do here? I'm going to read you an Ebenezer Elliot poetry. Yeah. No, instead of tying in... It could have gone tits up, couldn't it? It could, but it, it didn't. didn't. But it didn't. Our guest this week is another massive dog. Massive, John and Mark. Born in the heartland of the Eccles cake... One of the best batsmen that the world has ever seen. He captained England in 51 test matches, played over 250 times, part of four Ashes winning sides. A good conservative supporter like myself, Mark, which will rankle with you, uh, the man of the people that you claim to be. Welcome to Whippets and Flat Caps, Mr. Michael Vaughan. That's a round, yeah, of, thanks, that's a round of applause. Uh, there with that intro. You, you, you did say that I was one of the greatest batsmen of all time. That, that's Lie. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll I was take number one batsman for about three hours. That's the, well. <laughs> at least you were there. <laughs> Nonsense. I won't hear any of that. In fact, you're good. Yeah, we're all good. We're good. We're sat in a basement drinking beer uh, when it's 28 degrees outside, which is the normal thing to do on it's a bank British. It's very British, isn't it? <laughs> More, more to the point, you should be right this very second at Lords commentating on a final thrilling day between England and Pakistan from the first test match, but you're not because England is shit, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Can you confirm? Well, I tell you what, they're worth watching because you, you never know which England show up. M- more consistently these days, they show up into that kind of category, but no, it's a frustration for, for everyone involved in the test team because you see the one-day team, it's almost like the reverse. In my time, we had a, a decent testing, but couldn't play one-day cricket. And for whatever reason, whether they've taken their eye off the ball or players are more kind of geared towards the white ball game these days, I'm not too sure. But, you know, they, they certainly struggle in test match cricket. And, and when you, you start listing the names that they have in that team, Anderson, Broad, Cook, you know, three absolute legends. going to be, no question, go down as England, probably greatest combo in, in, in Anderson and Broad. And... And Isaac Cook will, will and have scored more runs than anybody else that have played for England. So you're looking at those three names, then you put Stokes, Root, Bairstow, Butler into that category. And they've got some serious players that just, uh, for whatever reason, um, are just not ticking at the minute. So they have to do something drastic to try and turn it around. Is concentration you know, a big thing in cricket? You talk about the, the, the white ball version of the game and a shorter version of the game, Michael. Does... Concentration play a big part. You know, when you come to the test matches, it's three or four days on the spin. Um, it, it must be a different challenge, that, surely. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, test cricket's boring at times and, and you've got to be prepared to be boring. You know, the, the real good teams don't come out and and, and entertain over five days, but they'll, they'll entertain when the time's right. But they generally create a foundation. 
And the, the, the creator foundation by being a bit dull, you know, with the bat in hand, if it's doing a bit, which it generally does at this time of year in the UK, you've got to be a bit Jeffrey Boycott like, you've got to occupy the crease and know where you're off stump is, not give too much away. You've got to let the bowler come to you and, you know, you, you, you get your reward later on in your innings or days two, three, when the, the kind of uh, foundation's been set. But England try and, they're trying to build a house by putting the roof on first. It generally doesn't work. You've got to create some substance before that, and then you can be flamboyant once you've created that foundation. But I don't know if it's boredom. I don't know. It, it, certainly, the, the test team don't have the patience. They, they haven't had it for a while. Where they're not willing to do the boring, basic um, style of play that require you to uh, play long in test match cricket. Generally, all sport. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're playing rugby league, cricket, football. 20 overs, 50 over. it all comes back to can you cover the basics well and then you can kind of get around that and, and start being a bit flamboyant and for a long period now in test cricket you know both with ball and batting and England aren't or haven't been able to do the basics for long enough well enough and that's why they, uh, they keep getting and it's not that they lose you know when they, everyone can lose a game I mean, it's sport isn't it but they get hammered mm. <laughs> they get absolute <laughs> dicking I mean and that's my frustration with them. That if you're going to lose, at least take it deep. You know, make it a bit awkward for the opposition and give them a, a little bit of a dodgy last day. But, you know, we can't even make it to the last day on, uh, on a number of occasions recently. And that's, uh, that's disappointing for the talent. If, if they didn't have the talent and they didn't have the expertise and they didn't have the skill levels, I, I would not criticise them. I'd say, look, they're just not good enough. But when you see the talent they've got in that team and the skill levels and the experience, they should be doing better than they are. Is it is it a lonely place to be as a captain when it's going tits up? Oh yeah, he's uh, yeah yeah. Joe's got some uh, he's got some soul searching to do. It's, a, it's an awful place. I mean, you're on your own and everyone points the finger at your decisions. You know, he won the toss at, at Laws, decided to bat first. I'd have done the same. His batsman let him down, so all the fingers are pointing. Oh, why did you bat first? Why didn't you bowl? But let's be honest, if they'd have bowled like they did in the first 30 overs when they bowled. If it had bowled first on that first day, they'd have lost anyway. They're just not playing well enough. So we're kind of looking at excuses to why, and you generally point at a few tactics. He didn't get it quite right this week with a few tactics that he used out in the middle. But, you know, it, it, there's something fundamentally wrong with the test team, and, and it's very hard to point the finger on it. And, it, and, it, and I don't think it'll just be an overnight change. I don't think suddenly we'll arrive at Henley on Friday and, you know, it'll be completely different because it's been happening for three or four years. You know, they played... Last year, pretty well. They played against South Africa. They got a right good dick in at Trent Bridge. They got criticised, and then all of a sudden, they went to the Oval again. Similar conditions that we saw at Lords, and and they did work hard, and they, you know they were boring for a while, and they beat South Africa, and then did the same at Old Trafford, and they've just not been able to do it for long enough period. I don't know if they get bored of being boring or get above the stations. I'm not too sure. I mean, clearly the winter was a tough winter, but it's always tough down under. It's always tough in Australia. Using a different ball, the Kookaburra ball doesn't do as much as it does over here with the Duke ball. But usually, England teams for, for many, many years, if the winter's gone bad, you know, I think we've lost one game in May in English conditions at Lords, and two overall in the history. May is our month. May is the month that England win Test matches. Doesn't matter what we've done in the winter. We arrive back here, and it's almost like you get your cigar out and go, "How oh, we can win?" Mm. You know, we've got our conditions back. But that was a real surprise this week because. Pakistan did everything that I thought England would do. You know, they were disciplined, they were terrific in the Lensley Bowl, they were together as a team. They, they looked fit. First time I've ever seen Pakistan look fit. 
Yeah. They looked fit, agile, worked hard together. They were collectively as one. You know, again, I, I very rarely say that about Pakistan. You always know they'll bring, you know, flamboyant individuals, but very rarely do you look at them and go, wow, they're, they're a collective unit. And they've got a load of young kids that really want it and are desperate, and they're listening to their coach, Mickey Arthur. And, you know, England almost have to look at the way Pakistan played didn't, at, at Lord and Iraq. Can we do the same at Heaven? Because I don't see a massive change because this Pakistan team are good. Um, and all right, England have made a change in Jennings at the top of the order. They might change a, make one change with the bowling department, but it's mentality that needs to change. You can't just sprinkle a bit of dust on a couple of new players and go, right, everything will be different. You know, they need to change the mentality of the side. Just speaking more loosely in, about sport in general, the, the things that stand out when I think about you, Michael, over your career, obviously winning the Ashes in 2005 was, was insane. Um, but then, you know, I remember a few years later watching that press conference live when you were resigning as England captain in tears and it was a really it was a really emotional I mean it was obviously a lot more emotional for you than it was for me but I remember everyone watching was just it, it got everyone because of what you know what you'd been through as a team and where you'd come from as a team and I remember you talking about um, the fact that it had it had basically it was it was turning you into uh, a man that you didn't recognise and that your family didn't recognise and, and that your mind was very fragile at the time. I, I've just sprung this on you. I don't even know if you want to talk about it, but can you take us back to, to that in, in terms of you know, just, just what the pressure of a captaincy can do to you? Well, that press card, I, I'd, I'd written a script, and as I walked in the press card, I ripped it up and went, sod it, I'm just going to be me. Um, you know, and, and the reason why I broke down, really, was because I knew I'd never play for England again. It was, of course, the captaincy, I, I, I loved it, but I knew it was the right time to move on. I, you know, the team needed a different leader, they needed a different direction. Uh, but it was the words and the tears were purely because I knew I was speaking for the last time as an England player. I could just, I could sense it, you know. I'd said the right thing, oh, I'll get back as a batsman, but I knew. You know in your own heart of hearts that my body wasn't quite right. Um, the, the team didn't need to go on without me because I'd led the team for six years and very difficult to kind of then step back as particularly the kind of captain that I was which was full on you know full on doing everything that it was always going to be hard for me to get back in as, as just a player but you know that's sport for you isn't it? it takes you to those uh, those kind of emotional places it's uh, it's very very hard for those outside to understand that you know we are humans you know we're, we're human beings that are, are doing something that we've, we've always kind of done as a hobby and then all of a sudden you're doing it as a job and then, you know, it's coming to an end. And it, it was really the moment. I, I remember being downstairs, and uh, it was at Loughborough, mm. and I'd written this script, and, and Gus Fraser came in, and, and he was one of the journalists at the time, and he just said, look, you've been great. Can, we, can I just shake your hand? And he said, and the, the best thing about it, he said, you've been you. And I thought, oh, cheers, thanks for that. And, and he, he was right, and this script, that I'd, I'd almost had it written for me. I, I kind of, oh, that's not me. Mm. So I just ripped it up and thought, I'll just go with whatever comes out. And I guess it, that's why it came out a bit emotional. And I look back and I, I think, oh, I looked probably a bit of an idiot, but I'd do it again, you know. I think that's the, you, you've always got to just be you and natural. Um, you know, and I, I look at Joe Root at the minute, you know, and, and I, feel, I feel for him because the dark places, as a player, there's dark places that you go into. And as a captain, you go into darker places because every loss, it just feels like it's all your fault. You just take every onus of decisions and team selections, tactical moves, and you, you toss and turn at night thinking, God, if I'd have done that, if I'd have picked him, if I'd have, if I'd have bottled first, you know, maybe we could have been 1-0 up, and, you know, if I'd have not played that shot, and 
all these things that I'm seeing with Joe at the minute, you know, it does take me back. I think it's a bloody hard job. It's a tough job being in England. It's a tough job being a sports person. I know it's great, but it is tough. And the expectation levels and, and also the scrutiny that players are under now, I mean, it, it's different. You know, yes, of course, we were on Channel 4 Trestle TV, so I guess the eye, eyeballs were more, but with social media now, but you don't have to look at Carrius, what he's going through for mm-hmm. Liverpool. I mean, all right, he balls up and he makes two horrendous errors and, and in the, under the biggest spotlight. But, you know, now the fan can have their say. Never in my time could the fan, unless there was a phone in, we hardly had them in, in cricket. Cricket didn't get a phone in on, on any radio station back in the day. They do now. Um, you know, the fan can have their say to you. And I, I find that, well, how our sports people cope with that now? Uh, it's a different world that they're in. So mentally, it's a lot more challenging, but I guess it's also a lot more rewarding for sports people with everything that comes their way these days. And, and the podcast tonight, Michael, we're talking a lot about confidence, really, where it comes from, where it goes in sport, and, and the, the carious sort of incidents this this uh, this weekend of, of putting to sharp focus, really. Um, you know, what confidence can do during performance, maybe... You know, if you make a mistake like that, what the impact might be on performance long term. From from me as a casual fan, looking at cricket, I've, I played a bit of cricket as a young lad. Um, confidence, you know, when you're walking out to the crease, there it, it it has to be present, doesn't it? You have to be in your peak of confidence. And how did you deal with that? You know, you were captain, you 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 up the order in, you know, in terms of batting, you know. How did you find those fluctuations in confidence as a performer? Well, I, I, I think confidence comes from preparation. You've just got to prepare to the match. You, you know, in cricket, for instance, like England now on Friday they'll, they'll they'll face the same Pakistan attack. It'll be Abbas, who was magnificent. Mohammed Abbas just bowls 80 odd miles an hour, load of skill. It'll be an Amir left arm, and it'll be Hassan Ali bowling 87 miles an hour. Skid it. You know what you're getting. So you have to do all the research into the angles, the paces, the kind of deliveries that you're going to face. And you've got to practice it. You've got to have two or three days just practicing what's going to come out. You don't practice things that you're not going to get. You know, you've got to practice the things that you're going to be facing against. And that's when I was at my confidence highest, I guess, is when I, I, I did research. You know, I, I studied the opposition uh, and I went into the practice arena, whether it was in the nets with a machine, throwdowns. Uh, whatever it was, I, I'd done. I'd almost felt that like I'd faced those bowlers before I'd, I'd walked out. So when the, the pressure zone at the moment comes, you know, walking out, I felt like it, I'd already done it. I felt that like I was ready for it. But that, that's it, Michael, isn't yeah. it? It's not. It's not. You know, the, it's all well and good having the confidence, but you can only have the confidence if you've got the ability. It doesn't work if you're shit. You know, it's, uh, we, we make the comparison yeah, with Carrius. You know, the confidence has to come from your ability, or certainly has to. You have yeah. to have a certain level of the ability. But, but that being said, I, I think everybody who gets to the top level of sport has there's an inherent confidence there in what you do and, and what you. But what I'm talking about is. Like where it like confidence comes and goes at times. It can come and go. And and Michael, you may well have prepared fantastically well, but performed poorly. Now, how how did how did that affect you? Did it affect you at all? Um, yeah. And I, I think I look at some sports people who it kind of glances across them. It doesn't really affect them. And I'm I'm kind of envious of that. Uh, but yeah. so when you if you didn't perform well, Michael, did that affect you? Yeah, massively. I mean, I, I, God, endless nights worrying and doubting myself whether I could play for England and 
was a, was a good enough to cope with 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 captaining, you know, and batting at the same time. Um, certain bowlers, you know, could I face, you know, like the Brett Lee, Shelly Batsa, would I see it? You know, you, you still question it. Would you see the ball? You know, it doesn't matter how many times you face it. You always have that fearful uh, thought process. You know, if that Actar bowls one on the money, will I see it? You know, and these are, I think, things like that. And people say you've always got to be positive. I'm not so sure. I think the odd little negative gripe in the back of your mind just gets yourself ready. Mm. It gets yourself ready to go out there and just go, right, I'm, I'm going to have a go here. And that's all I used to have a say. As soon as, there would be times and many times that I didn't feel in any kind of form. I felt drained. But the one thing I'd always say to me, I've got to have a go. Just have a right good pop. You know, just whether you're scrapping for, you know, a, a draw or you're trying to win the game or you're just trying to play the first day and setting the game up, just have a go. And, you know, I, I look back now and, and I look at players now that are struggling and the, the only advice I would give them is just, just prepare as hard as you can. And that, but that and also, it, that's it, the thing, Michael, with, with, with cricket that, that strikes me is that, you know, you look, you're seeing it with Joe Root now, but you saw it with Alistair Kirk. We saw it, we've seen it with Marcus Druscothic, with yourself, with Nasser Hussein, with Michael Atherton. All, all these guys, it, it, essentially we talk about cricket being a team sport, but it's, it's a very much an individual sport when you're out there with the bat in your hand. And, you know, a lot of the respect from your team and all the scrutiny from the media all comes at that moment. Oh, Vaughan's gone for one again, or, you know, Cook's gone out for, for, for three. And then you have to sort of, how you go about holding that respect and keeping that confidence when individually you're letting yourself down or it's just not going your way yeah i mean you know joe joe root is under the scrutiny but he's actually it's not that he's not scoring runs you know he averages well into the 40s as a captain which is fantastic he's just losing games so as a captain you generally very rarely get it all your own way you very rarely get runs and your team win if you win you generally people say no you didn't get so many runs so there's always questions of negativity that you have to answer as a captain and I guess that's the mental challenge. You've got to be able to answer them and put it to bed. You know, most sports people that have a, a long career, we all talk about this even keel of mentality that you can't you can't get too excited when you have a great day. But you obviously have a you know celebrate somewhat. But you can't also, and I think this is the the best advice I'd give any sports person. You can't get too low when you've had real bad days. You've just got to accept it. You've got to go right. You, of course, you're not going to feel as good as you've just got 100, but you've then got to arrive. You've got to remember, Test cricket's five days. And if you've got naught on day one and you're taking that into day two, well, you're knackered. You've got to accept that day two is a different day. You arrive, all right, you might not be batting on day two, but you're still going to be there for the team. You're still going to be there encouraging. You've got a fielding job. You might have to bowl a few. As captain, clearly, you're out there making tactical uh, decisions. So... It's a real challenge, cricket, particularly the longer format, because it does trigger you into a lot of negativity. Because over five days of a test match, there's very rarely that there's, there's everything goes your way. Mm. Every, you every know, you captain's different. Runs, as... But you might drop two catches, so yeah. that's in your mind then. You know, think, God, I've just let the team down with a couple of drops. So it's those that can stay even. And, and, and again, it's very hard to, to coach that. It's very hard. I can tell people, oh, you've just got to stay even. But it's really difficult to get that. And... The one thing, I mean, Stuart Broad recently, you know, and he's, he's a legend of the game, over 400 test wickets. He came back from Australia, he had a poor time, he went right back to basics. Right back to basics, the cones were out, just that almost d delivering his technical side of bowling to what a 10, 12-year-old boy or girl would do. Yeah. And that's, again, from my time, I, if I had my time again, I'd, I'd do the basics more often. I'd just nail my basics. And, and the basics for me as a batsman is, right, my stance, my hands close to me, bat lift, head position on the release of the ball. 
I can control it. I can't control what the pitch is going to do. I can't control what the umpires are going to do. I can't control conditions. You know, but you can control the basics. And, you know, when things start to go well, for, and it did for me for, for quite a bit, it started to get a little bit funky, started to get a bit cool and started to play a few too many shots. And, you know, that's why the message I would say to the England team now is just be boring, cover the basics, and, you know, just see how that travels you. Just see if that gets you in a better position than that we saw you in at Laws, because for what I saw at Laws, they were just a little bit too funky with the bat and a little bit too funky with the ball, and they got an absolute pasting, so... Just try and be a bit boring. And you touched on it earlier, Michael, <clears throat> as, as a role of captain. Um, how, how has that changed from being a regular player? In in many other sports, the captain isn't as prominent in selection and, and style of play and all that sort of stuff. How do you how do you take to being promoted to captain and then and then when it when it hasn't worked out or the team wasn't going too well? How do you manage those relationships with players who? who might be poor and form or had to be dropped. How do you manage that? Yeah, because you said you're full on as well. You, you said you were a full on captain. Oh, I was a full on. I mean, I always remember getting the job and it was on there. I've got the one day job and I then got the test job on a Monday. We'd played South Africa at Edgefast. It was the last day and NASA was captain. He just walked in on the, on the last day and said, oh, I've had enough money, you're going to be captain. Not in front of everyone, to me privately. And I was like, what? And he said, no, no, you're going to be captain and, and the test starts on first. This is Monday, we're starting another test at Lords on the first. So I ran my dad. I said, Dad, I'm going to be in the test captain. He went, oh, Jesus Christ, it must be in a shit position. <laughs> 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 and that's, I think I'm in a, a good background of, of, of normal. I've, I've lived most of my life around Manchester or Sheffield and, and, and everyone's dead normal. And, and I think it helped me in my role because... If we had a good day, obviously I loved it, but if we had a bad day or people, I didn't really, you know, as long as they were giving it everything. You know, and I think that the skill of a captain is understanding the people that you're captaining. That's all I try to do. I wanted to know who I was captaining. I wanted to know the end. I, could, I knew the players. I could see from the stats that the average 40 or you know, 28 with the ball and the ball right arm or left arm or they played left-handed right. I knew that when they came to the team but I didn't know who they were so I, I went out of my way to find out actually what motivated them um, how I could encourage them under pressure you know what would be their kind of go-to kind of moments of, of getting them relaxed under pressure um, what were they like off the field you know, I had to spend many hours in the bar with a few just to try and how unfortunate that <laughs> sounds terrible Again, that, that's the only advice I'd give any young aspiring captain is all leaders you've always got to remember who you're leading very, very difficult, I, I think, to lead a whole team. You know, so you, you have the non-negotiables of, of, of team ethics and all of that. That's a given in all teams. But I think the real strong leaders and clever leaders understand that those non-negotiables only take you so far. To get into the, the real heart of the team, you've got to know the individual. You've got to really study who those individuals are. Because I've never been around anyone that's the same. Every individual that I know is different somewhere. And they'll react differently to pressure situations just subtly and I wanted to know exactly what they were like so I did spend a lot and that's probably what drained me in the end I spent a lot of time making sure that I knew every single individual whether it was the team players or the management because the management plays such a role you know it's not just the captain that manages the team the, the captain takes over the team pretty much on match day on, on preparation days the coach and the backroom team have to do everything and that's when you as a captain you hope that you can step back and just hit a few balls and make sure that you're ready to perform. And did you find that you tough to, to do a lot of work to on compromise preparation days? It's not right to compromise your own. Did it compromise your own form when you were kind of too considerate of others and how they were playing and how yeah. they were fe feeling? Was it was it hard to keep your own game 
as good as it was when when you had so much on 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 your plate, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I look back and, and I think I probably went too far, you know, getting involved with too much. And But again, I look back and think, I, I wouldn't have wanted to do it anyway. That's just the start of Captain I was. There's different stars. Of, and there's some that don't do any of that, but just really lead by example and go out there and perform. And they say, right, team, follow me. I'll show you how to do it. And, and you just follow what I'm doing. And aren't quite hands-on and aren't quite as uh, intimate with the individuals, whereas I was the complete opposite. I always felt that if if I could get five or ten percent out of every other player in the team, you know, my form dipped by ten percent. I felt that the team would go forward, you know. So I really wanted to make sure that every single player was right going into a particularly the big series. You know, the lesser series it was a bit more relaxed, and but the big big pressure series I always like right. I need to know exactly what you're all about. I need to know what's going on in your own life. I need to know where you are in terms of your mentality, I need to know exactly where you are in your life, where you want it to go in a year, two years, because if, if, if I know that, and I also wanted to know what players are motivated by. You know, I, I always get wound up in sports, oh, he's motivated by money. I, go, I don't give a shit about that. That's fine, as long as I know. You know, some get motivated by stats, some get motivated by just, you know, caps, and some, you know, and as many get motivated by the cash, and they go, fine, that's, that's marvellous. As long as I know what motivates the player, you know, I felt that I had a chance of managing them. I had a chance of kind of really triggering them on the match day about what, what they were there to do. Uh, you're probably guessing who the kind of people were motivated by. That's absolutely fine with me. I, didn't, I honestly didn't care about the motivation uh, levels of what, what, what they were. As long as I knew exactly where they were and they were honest with me, um, you know, I didn't kid or fib. You know, that's when you get into a few difficult when they fib you and they think, they're telling you something that you want to hear rather than the actual truth. That, that's when I used to get wound up. But generally, they give you the truth. You're one-on-one -on -one with a player. You know, and you're just being dead open and honest, and you're just not going to release it to everyone. You just know yourself as a captain what that individual wants. You get a lot out of them. So that, that, that was my style. I think that there's loads of different styles of, of leadership. I, I've played under captains who, who've led by example. I've played un, under captains who've been... Um, I think people who've tried to bring everyone together and, and people who've combined the both and people who've gone off on a tangent and been creative. And I think there's loads of different... One thing we've covered on this podcast, actually, is leadership can take any form, can't it? But there's one... I yeah. think there's one thing, Michael, that you mentioned here, that every time we have a guest on, we talk about, and it always comes up, and it's simplicity. Right, yeah. so you said when you were struggling for form or when ever a player in cricket is struggling for form go back to the basics do the simple things really well and and whenever we've spoken to somebody on this podcast I think we spoke to a, a, a sports psychologist Damien Hughes and he, he referenced simplicity Pep Guardiola has, has mentioned simplicity in the things he's done and you know I, I read a book recently about the Marines and, and they get up in the morning and make the bed and, and, and that to us sounds like sort of some uh, basic sort of discipline that you would do and there's no reason behind it but them doing the simple things really well in the life getting the disciplines right in the life allows them when they need to be to be creative and when Michael was talking about England cricket there I felt like they haven't made the bed do you know what I mean yeah. they've not got up and made the bed in the morning they've not shined the shoes they've not stood in the line obviously they go to Harrow School like me make the bed we uh, all sorts <laughs> of well, spanking. all sorts of good spanking matron would come and give me a right good spank <laughs> scene too but, but that, 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 that 
came to mind, you know, simplicity, get back to do the basics well, and that allows you then to do the flamboyant stuff, Michael, that would be, be right. Yeah, well, look, if England play on Friday at Henley, and Henley historically has been a ground where the seamers will have an effect, they'll, they'll get some movement. And, and all England, and it's, and it's dead easy for us, and particularly someone like me, I'm not in, in that kind of day-to-day running of the team, and I'm not under any pressure, so I can pretty much say anything I want, and I'm sure they get wound up by it, but you know, the, the, the basics of what I'm saying, just turn up at Edenley as a bowling unit and just keep it simple. Just just try and get every single Pakistan batsman coming forward and let the ball hit off stump. So the Test Series is sponsored by NatWest and there's, there's an N at the top of the off stump. Just try and get the ball to hit N. And that means you can set fields, basically. You might start with four slips and if they play really well, you get a three, they play very, very well, they go, you get a two, and if they play incredible, you get a one. And you just kind of play around with it. And that's all that Pakistan did at Lords. They just played the basics. Mm. They just did the right things for long enough, whereas England did the right things for a short period and got bored and then went looking. They went searching for, for something that they didn't need to search for, both with the bat and both with the ball. So I would think they'll come back at Italy and just be a, a lot more disciplined in terms of just delivering the boring basics because if you do that you're giving yourself a little bit of a sniff and you're also taking the game deep you're taking the game deep and you're making the opposition uh, ask themselves a few questions you're not just kind of put, taking away the release pressure of just kind of allowing them to do something that's flamboyant Pakistan like to play flamboyantly that's the way that they, they play cricket you know, generally and historically, we like to play the opposite. We like to grind teams down and just play good orthodox cricket. Is that the English way, though, Michael? In in all sports, that the bit we do, we like that rugby, rugby union, rugby league. We we do we do like to grind teams down. We, I don't, That's because we're not very good. I don't know if we're very flamboyant as a nation, are we? I don't know. Maybe. No, but we we can. I mean, our te- our one day team now is unbelievably flamboyant. But yeah. our test team, when it's had a lot a lot of success, and it has had a lot of success for the last thirteen, fourteen years. If you look at look back at a lot of the series, the 05 series is different because we're up against this, an, an Aussie team that you, you couldn't you couldn't have got away with playing boring against, and you had to be risky and we had to gamble. Whereas the remaining series, you, the, you know, Strauss's team for many years just played boring cricket, worked mm. from. You know, I'd, I'd actually loving them to play expansively all the time, but I just don't think they've got it in them to be able to do that. So. They might as well just get back to the basics and just try and cover that off and see where that takes them. <laughs> one more, one more serious one before we get into a little bit of fun territory, Michael. Um, when, when we, uh, one thing that springs to mind with me in cricket and cricketers, and uh, it's not, it's not because people are having more issues on a cricket field than the other than they are on a rugby league pitch or you know on a football pitch or in a football dressing room. But we talk about mind fragility. And you know names that, that spring to mind: English names, Jonathan Trott, Marcus Truscothic, two guys that you know, well certainly Marcus that you know very well. Um, were, were you were you close to being in, in that sort of territory? Because I know in cricket that they're a lot, lot more comfortable talking about problems that they're having with, with fragility. No, I mean I had I had down weeks, down months, but no, no, I never I never felt I was, you know, the problems that Marcus Truscothic. It, it, Bedded with him for years and years, back to a childhood. You know, he's always had those anxiety problems traveling, and, and he hid them for so long. That's why I have a huge amount of respect for him. I, I toured with him to Sri Lanka when we were 17. You know, I remember him arriving at the airport and having a big box of sausages because he, he likes sausages. <laughs> 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 oh, amazing. 
you know, and he, he, he travelled with me, and I always knew he didn't enjoy it. Steve Harmison's another. I yeah. always knew they didn't enjoy it, but I never, ever knew it was going as bad as, you know, as, as obviously they've both done two great books that you read about, and I didn't know. You know, they hid it from all the players. They, would, they probably had one or two real close pals in the side that they, those would have known more, but no, they hid it, and, you know, I had so much admiration. I mean, sport, whatever you're playing, and, and life, you know, it's, 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 it can be very, very tough. And, um, you know, cricket is a long, drawn-out process. You're, you're away for a long period of time. Uh, touring is hard. Touring is very difficult, particularly when, you know, things aren't quite going as well as you'd like. It's five days. It's non-stop, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, well, not, it's not 90 minutes. And, and yeah, and, and, you know, you're in hotels, and, you know, it sounds... You know, fantastically uh, rosy all the time, but it's not. You know, some I loved it, and I, and I still love going away and travelling. But there are a number that just do not like it. They don't. Mm. They don't feel settled being away from home. They just want to stay home and eat sausages, don't they? Sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of sausages at breakfast. That's about right. Right, Michael, take us back to take us back to 2005, because um, you know, to a lot of rugby league fans listening who don't follow cricket, they will certainly remember that. And, and uh, everyone with the sunglasses on after an unbelievable Ashes series. C- can you tell us any stories that, that, about that? That was unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah, I was think incredible. For me, for me as a cricket fan, that was my was ultimate incredible. cricket moment. I, I was in uh, Wrightington Hospital having an operation on my hand and I was watching it unfold, mm. one, of the, one of the tests. Unbelievable. It's always good whether you're a cricket fan, rugby fan, to just, just to beat Australia. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And it unites the nation, doesn't it? It does, yeah. But, but the benders on the bus, you know, Flintoff, I mean, everyone had their sunglasses on. I want to know, I want to know the dirty, sordid tales of the night that, that, that came before the rooftop bus. It sounds like Michael was putting it all back together in the morning. <laughs> he may well have been trying to get people on the bus in a good state. I was, yeah. You know, how we got, got uh, Freddie on that bus, I'll never know. But I, I always remember that summer, because you know, they were a great, great team, one of the greatest that's ever played. and. You know, I, I was very kind of good at conning players into thinking that we were probably better than we were. And I had this logo on, a slogan on the ball, on the dressing room walls, and it was, uh, just remember, you've got to play the ball, not the name. So you don't face shame one, you just face the ball. You're not facing one, you're facing the leg spinner, you face the McGrath, you're just facing the ball. And I always remember it, so we win and, and we lift the urn. And we're in the dressing room, the slogans are on the wall at the Oval. And I'm sat next to Freddie, and all of a sudden the Aussies started coming in for a beer, and, and, and they come in one by one. Justin Langer, and Matthew Hayden, uh, Gilchrist, McGrath, Brett Lee, Sean Tate, Damian Martin, uh, Ricky Ponting, the skipper. And all of a sudden, the great Shane Warren walks in, and Freddie just looks at me and went, fucking hell, they're a good team, aren't they? We had a team of, of characters who played played kind of a risky band because we had to, to, to match them. You, you couldn't play them any other way. You had to play a little bit uh, ballsy, and we, we won four tosses. We won the, the last four... I might win the first one, I might win all five, but we had to bat first. The only way you beat that lot is by batting first. Bat first, get something on the on the board, and then hopefully just put them under pressure. There's no way you could beat them with Shane Warne bowling last. So mm. we, we got fortunate with the toss. Uh, everything seems to go our way, and yeah, we had uh, a, a long, long night celebrating. It. <laughs> do, do, do you have big benders in, never... in cricket? Not not those sorts, but do you have big big nights out? Yeah, I mean, cricket's renowned for it, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, it, it's... 
It's great, isn't it, when you win, because you win and then you, you party and you can never remember anything. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, yeah, that's ignorance so is bliss, though, sometimes, <laughs> I find. <laughs> you don't want to know. Yeah, we went to... We went, I always remember going to number 10. I led the team in and said, oh, I'll do the ties up, lads. You might as well look smart. Went to the garden. True story. I went down into the uh, number 10 uh, downstream garden. There's two tables left and right. And on the left-hand side, a load of beers, and on the right, some wine. And, and hey, Steve Armisen... He comes up to me after a minute. He goes, uh, "Skipper, um, got to let you know the uh, the beer's warm." <laughs> and I went, "Seriously, I'm England captain. I fuck all to do with the beers." <laughs> two minutes later, the uh, the new director of English cricket, he's been there a couple of years. The posh lad Strousey comes up to me and he said, uh, um, "Skip, uh, can I have a word with you?" I said, "Yes, Andrew. What's the problem?" He said, uh, "The Pinot Gris warm." <laughs> I said, well, but, uh, so there was a load of uh, waitresses and waiters on this one there's this little fellow on the end so I called him and I said look I said I hate to be rude I said but the lads are complaining I said any chance you get some cold beers or some cold wines and he went oh yeah well give us two minutes he ran upstairs this kid he comes down and he gets this box of cold beers the lads piled in and a box of cold wines the lads piled in so I get a 20 quid and no out of my, my, my pocket and I said oh cheers pal there you go Thanks for helping out. And he goes, oh, no, no, I can't take that. I said, of course you can't. You're a waiter, aren't you? He said, just there you go. Put it in your pocket. He said, no, no, I'm not a waiter. I said, well, who are you? He said, no, oh, I'm Ewan Blair. <laughs> <laughs> but we know, what, we know what you do with that roll that 20 pound out, don't we? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, God, that must have rankled with you as a conservative uh, stalwart, having to, to, uh, to smile in Tony well, Blair's yeah. face. Well, to be fair, Matthew, oh, God, he... Um, he had the, he had the last word on the steps. We, we went on the steps of number ten to have the picture, and I just knew that the lads were in, in you know, it's, they, they were in jovial mood, and they were they, they they just probably lost a bit of respect for where they were. They probably <laughs> got on where they were. They'd had a few in the garden, and we we get taken out there a bit early. We got this last picture to be taken on the steps, and we're all waiting for for Tony to arrive, and we're all stood and kind of getting ready for this one picture, and he arrives behind Amsterdam next to Hoggard. And he stands next to our guard, and he, there's cameras everywhere, all over the way. So oh, I wonder what all the cameras are here for. And Hoggy just looks at him and goes, to take our picture, you knob. <laughs> <laughs> the England team haven't been back since. <laughs> <laughs> we, we went on our merry way. <laughs> there's, I love the stuff you get up to now, because it seems to me that since since you've you've quit cricket, and obviously I work with you, BBC, there's five love stuff, stuff together, but... You know, you, you, you do enjoy life now, which is great to see you out and about doing all bits. One minute you're in India with Pradeep doing your hair, the old makeup artist who shot to fame last week on your Instagram. Um, and then, you know, you're, you played in the Pro-Am, didn't you, this week at Wentworth, which was great because I know you're a keen golfer. It, we, yeah. sh- we share a very, very great friend, all four of us, in Nick Bianchi, and we give away a prize every week on Whippets and Flat Caps for lunch for four at a Riggy Bianchi's. So, so my, Michael will know how busy Nick Bianchi is. Oh. So Bia- Nick sponsored busy. a feature. Let's, busy is not the word, is it? He's, he's the busiest man. Right. He, he carried for me last. I've never. I, I was waiting over my ball for that fight. You know how much he talks. <laughs> I'm waiting for my club. He's talking to the crowd about 400 yards back. He's just like having a jovial chat to everyone that's around. He, he, uh, he's a belter. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have him as. Um, the greatest caddy but if you want someone to put a bit of banter on your back yeah, it's class. In the first yeah it's class well, I spoke to him this week and he said um, he said he said to you Michael you know if you're after someone who uh, who's looking for sort of you know club speed and the, the right club and club direction and kind of you know wind direction I'm not your guy but uh, if you're looking for that sort of rousing speech get behind the troops you know <laughs> get me in those white overalls <laughs> yes. which were very tight on him 
Very, very tight. Well, it, 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 yeah, it, it, it was a bit sprayed on. It took him about three Well, he does have a massive it, cock. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three hours to get into Chris Hughes from Love Island. <laughs> stories that were quite amusing. Oh, he, he did tell me to ask you, though, about, the, he said, the goodie bags. Talk us through those, because he says they were insane. I know I know for, for, for the guys, for the pros playing in it, the prize money for first place was something like just over a million quid but you know for the goodie bags for the celebrities and on that on that Wednesday they were crazy weren't they what was in them yeah they, they look at I mean it's a great day and there's, there's always a huge crowd I mean of all the pro I mean the Donald Lynx is a great pro-am because you're there for a week and clearly they play historic courses but Wentworth there's, there's this huge crowd so you, you've got a real nip on when you're playing your shots I always say to the guys do you know that funnel they create for you that They've seen it on, you know, obviously do it for the pros. They don't realise those amateurs can't hit it down the funnel. <laughs> You're kind of getting them a bit wider all the time. But, yeah, you get looked after. Yeah. Yeah, you would, uh, there was a nice jumper, nice pink jumper. You'd go well in that one, Will. I've seen some of your club. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I've already got a new, exactly. new pair of goggles as well, some nice sunglasses. Yeah, you get the goggles, yeah. the boots. Um, yeah, yeah, they look after you. We can't, we can't have you on without asking you about because I know you, you know, just being kind of um, a northwest socialite, and obviously being between growing up between Manchester and Sheffield. Is it no- a northwest socialite? Is that? That's, I don't think that's <laughs> fair. Is it? He's, he's a northern, a northern man. As a, a northern, northern man, man, this is that's why I am. This is a very tenuous link. As no, a no. northern man, you must know about rugby league. No, no, what's that's, I'm finishing Will's sentence well, I know, for I know it. The, I kind of know the answer. Because you, you, you know, what, what is your, firstly, what's your perception of, of rugby league? I know you knock about with, a bit with Brian Noble, don't you, as well? I like Nobby, yeah. I like Nobby's crackers. His, uh, his wife used to work at She used to run the uh, club shop at Headley. Uh, ba- Barbara? Yeah, she used to do Barbara. all the... Yeah. get your Yorkshire shirts from Barbara Did in the she? shop. Uh, she might be still there. I'll see her this week if she is. <laughs> so, what, what is your what is your opinion of the game of rugby league? Because you know you're not a massive fan, but you obviously you, you come into contact with it. Just being you know having been a, at the top of your game, you would have come across a lot well, of league back then. I, my, my upbringing was at Headingley in the days of Ellery and uh, Gary Schofield. You know, we 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 shared the dressing rooms in in the old stand, and you know they'd be training on the rugby pitch, we'd be on the cricket pitch. You know, many a times that my you know, four-day match would finish on a Friday night at six six fifteen, and then we'd have to rush out the dressing rooms. And there was always a, a lounge at the end of the corridor, which the rugby lads had. So they'd be changing in there, and you'd have to cross them going from the showers. And they'd come into and, oh, it was embarrassing us going into the showers and big Ellery walking past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Ellery's a sight for sore eyes. A sight for sore eyes. We were like brought up around all the rugby lads. You know, we, we, we've got a huge amount of respect, a huge amount of respect for all sports people, but we used to get completely embarrassed, because there used to be a rough and ready gym in, in just underneath one of the stands at Edinley, and we'd go in and do our little baby weights, and then they'd be in there doing the, the lifting. <laughs> it, was, it was always embarrassing. But no, I love rugby league's a better game than rugby union, and I'm not just... Oh, I will take that. We'll it's that. a better game. Always, it's faster, more entertaining, um, and it's more normal. Rugby union is full of potions. I'm going to get absolutely battered here when I see someone who plays rugby union. Aren't <laughs> yeah, that's but it's full of, full of the posh lads. That's you know, Will. I've Will's from Harrow. So. I'm not just saying I've never really got into rugby. I've always watched England and you know, Six Nations and the World Cups, but I've never got into it. But rugby league, I like it. I like the. Uh, I love the Super League. Kind of always uh, we used to stay on that Friday night. If the Leeds were playing, we'd always sit in the stand and watch. 
and uh, get right into it. So no idea about the tactics, but I used to enjoy the scraps in the middle because there always tend to be one or two flying about. <laughs> oh, yeah. You talk sure. about baby weights. You've been smashing it. Michael Vaughan probably never trained once in his life while he was playing, but now he's doing these 12-week transformations. He's, he's, he works as an ambassador for My Protein. He's done these... That was you know, last year. Oh, is that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was so 2017. Yeah. <laughs> uh, come on, I see I you in that gym every day. By Bianchi on a Bianchi <laughs> takes me in on a regular occurrence on a month. We're in this morning actually, but it's good. He's, he's the best training partner you'll ever have because he speaks for 40 minutes. You only have to train for 20. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Michael, I can hear your phone going in the background. I really appreciate you coming on. It's yeah, fascinating. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, as promised, well, there's, there's a nice bottle of red coming your way. Oh, just the one. Yeah, just the one. It's a case, one, it's a case. Hey, look, you know how much the BBC pay. <laughs> I'll just have some lunch at Bianchi's. That'll do. Well. Right. We'll, we'll set you up as the prize winner this week. Cheers, Mike. Have a good one. Cheers, Cheers Paul. Thank, Thank you, you, mate. Cheers, Mike. Bye-bye. Whippets and flat caps. Question time. Question time. Question time. Time, 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 time. Oh. Is this the genuine question time production? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Time, 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 time. time. Question time, time. That's at the end. Um, The first question this week for the chance to win Sunday lunch for four at Origi Bianchi's in Macclesfield is from Steve Wood. Steve, W-O-3-1-5-7-6-5-3-8 who's, um, I'm not even going to read this uh, question out, Steve, because we've had it so many times now, from yourself, actually. Uh, who is a better player in his matchups? Farrell, Scholfield, Price, you weren't McGuire, read it Morley, out. Peacock, Senior, Gleeson. You don't ask that, do you? You said you weren't going to read it no, out. No, but, but just to make, I'm making the point. No, Steve. Um, so, no. So, but Steve does have a second question. Are Saints already thinking about winning the treble? Yes. Everyone is, yeah. Every, well, Salford aren't. Well, not everyone thinks yeah, about I, it. I saw for thinking about Saints winning the treble, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good on them. Then they could do all three. Are you actually, do you think about it? Don't look at me like I wrote the question. Well, yeah, no, of course, yeah. We're, we're, we're as much chance as anybody else in any competition. So you're thinking about winning the treble? Everyone is. Who's still in, in the, the competition? Game, it's in your mind, you're thinking about everybody it. Everybody who's still in the competition. Well, you want to win everything you've put apart yeah. of, so of course. Yeah. It does matter in this, because you do a pre-season sort of meeting about goal setting. Well, what's your goals to win? Yeah. Like what? What? What other reason is there to play a team I think sport? That, you know, like, even as a lesser club, they say like Salford. They'll say, you know, it'd be great if we got to the semis or the final of the Challenge Cup. Well, if you're in the semis, you want to win, and if you get to the final, you're not. You're going to want to win that. So you, you, you never know what? Great not be to happy get, to, get to the quarterfinals. Yeah, I love I the quarterfinals, and then go out. Yeah, like England. Mm. Let's um, get to the quarters. Yeah. So, so what? Salford thinking about winning. Think you want Saints winning the treble? Yeah, okay. good on them. Um, <laughs> in, go in, for it, John. Incept Sean. Uh, says is that that's an inception play on words yeah. well done inception say, inception yeah. inception inception sounds French sounds in, inception 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 uh, what is your go to karaoke song and have there been any memorable rugby league karaoke performances also who has the highest arse karaoke's died a death yeah I mm. think it was more common I'd say 10 years ago karaoke was a thing you mean within rugby league no, just in life. Well, I disagree. Do you walk that. into a bar now and there's karaoke yes. happening? Correct. Apart from a speciality karaoke no, bar, I love karaoke. So do everyone I knock about with. Really? Yeah. It must be a middle to upper class thing. I, I do a very good faith by George Michael. Mm, mine's uh, "Don't Dream It's Over," crowded house. Great song. Mm. My first karaoke song was uh, I went backpacking. Well, 
well, I stayed in a couple of hostels, it wasn't really backpacking, to mm. Australia when I was 18. I ended up being in Fraser Island with a few good friends of mine. On the second day of the trip, I broke my foot running on Bondi Beach. So I was in crutches and on a cast up to my knee. And we were in Fraser Island and I was on the crutches. And we all decided to do uh, a karaoke song between us. It was Maggie May. Uh, so four of us got on stage. There's like 50, 60 people in there. We all had a few beers. And unbeknownst to me, the lads had changed the song from Maggie May to Like a Virgin by Madonna. And as it started, they all ran off the stage and left me on there with my crutches and my cast. Mm. And I just had to go with it. And you, you know what? You did a great job. I did a great yeah. job. Because Sync it felt one. legitimate. Yeah. Did you have Do you know what I mean? When he sang No, it was on a little words. screen and yeah. I went with it. When he I didn't have those, any choice. I, when he sang I was, those words, every single Australian in the place went, mm, yeah, we can see that. Yeah. <laughs> this oh. sounds like a virgin singing. <laughs> Poor fellow. If, if a virgin man were to sing, this is what it'd sound like. Yeah. Stu M says, what's the most awe-inspiring, spine-tingling team talk that you've ever had? Not read about from other sports, I mean, to actually be part of. I can't remember anything. I was playing for England, A. <laughs> a. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when they were, when Great Britain was still around, they used to have England. England used to be just a, a bit of a Mickey Mouse mm. sort of competition alongside the Great Britain thing. Mm. Um and Luke Robinson, we were playing, and half time, and we he, he, we were playing France, and he lent in, and we're thinking, right, something's going to be said here. Let's like we we needed to get going. We, we're not particularly playing that well, and Luke Robinson lent in, really sort of small uh, halfback at Wigan at the time, lent in, and said, lads, 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 don't get tired. <laughs> As if it's a choice. What I was like, God, oh God. That was not like that. That's it. The end. That is the end. Mark, want to be in Watson's this season? Have you? He just he's had the El, quite detailed. I just blows his head off. Wello told me a story when Ellery Hanley once switched the lights off in the dressing room, what? and he uh, he turned the lights off and got everyone in a huddle and started going round them one by one, and and like going you know, fullback Paul Wellens. I would have no. I'd not rather have another fullback than Paul Wellens in this changing room on the wing. Chris Smith. Nobody can tackle Chris. Anyway, it got round the team, but it forgot. <laughs> it forgot a couple of the lads. And anyway, Ellery and Lou's getting kicked in the dark. Like you, you've forgotten. You've forgotten Kevin Irob. <laughs> 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 it can go wrong. Team mm. talks. Did anyone tackle Chris Smith that day? Um, I, I think they did. Didn't they? He's, he's the <laughs> That's when his confidence drained. Yeah. In inverted commas, who would top score as an opening batsman? Who top scores a batsman? Who's bothered? Next look, question. I, I don't write the questions. I know, but next question. Okay, not, not next question. You are allowed to say next question. I did just um, Tim Wood, not Tim Sherwood. Tim Wood. Would it raise the profile and grow the game of rugby league if we had an international calendar to include holding the Rugby League World Cup every two years, alternating between the hemispheres, 16 teams, the eight quarter-finalists, each time qualified. It's not an open question. This is this one of them questions where basically Tim has formulated a massive plan for rugby league. Do you agree with his formula? Do you agree with his 82 point calendar? Would it or not? Would it help if we had an international profile and grow the game of rugby league? Well, he knows. Of course he does. Well, he's asked the question where he knows the answer is yes. He's well done, you to. Well done, Tim. You're the best. <laughs> I'm going to say no just to. Okay. World Cups are two every four years. Bryn May, uh, we should confirm every week as well. Not Brian May from Queen, but Bryn May. As a Leeds fan in Manchester, I often I like this question. I often get abuse on abuse on nights out. 
If you were to use a takeaway food to attack a bad guy, what would you pick? Uh, chips, gravy, and curry sauce. Because I, I've seen Sean Long's brother, Carl Long, through chips and gravy at someone, and all I can say, it was like molten. It was like napalm. <laughs> Essentially, Did what I would do now, if we ever got into a war with another country, I would go to Gino's in St. Helens, I'd buy chips Gino's. and I'd drop them. I'd drop them on countries. I'd go. It's like napalm, honestly. Chips and gravy at the right temperature can be lethal. And curry sauce. Uh, curry sauce was just as a. It was. It came it's in. A came in as a third party. <laughs> late. Mark. Um, overcooked pizza thrown like a frisbee. Really hard. Decapitate. Ooh. Vicious and pretty overly aggressive, but he's confident. Um, Anthony Thelwis, uh, I can't read it. Thewlis, do you know this guy? No, just, just guessing from your Sorry, putting letters together and Anthony saying a word. Thewlis. Anthony Thewlis, why are some things? And this is this is thought provoking. Why are some things that are okay to do occasionally, but definitely not okay to do every day? <laughs> what? Well, let's think of an example. Um, Having ten pints, yeah. Well, well, everything in moderation is good, Mm. including moderation. Oh, might drop. Gonna get that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Um. So we haven't got. We we can't answer that really, can we, Anthony? uh, Yeah, I think you did answer that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Lee Whitnell says, "Oh, this is good as well." What does I think we've we've discussed him before, but this specifically. What does Jake Connor say to opposition players in those few seconds after a tackle that gets them so wound up? And who's the better wind-up merchant, Jake or John? I don't. I don't I really don't. Not anymore. You don't anymore. You used to be a wanker, though, didn't you? No, but, no, I just didn't. I don't know. It's like a relic of ten years ago. This. Well, you can't. Once you're once a wanker, always. A wanker. Yeah, well, true. Jake Connor. Shit what does Jake Connor say to people? He said, "Have you ever looked at my face through a magnifying glass?" <laughs> He said that to you? No. That's what God, so what, has he ever given you, what, he you said, ever said anything to you? <laughs> Jake Connor? Yeah. No. no never, never. never said anything. I've no. not even. Mark? I spoke to like probably a few sentences to him after he looks like he's got him a little bit late and he just over aggressive said, What the fuck are you doing? And I was like, right. What? So he has The got, fact is, the, the sad certain, thing about. Back chat. The sad thing about no. Jake is he's probably Hull's best player at the moment. And what you talk about is that mm. rather than. The fact that he's playing very well. But he has that bravado about him, doesn't he? Yeah. Where he just he's always got something to say. Yeah, but that's sport, isn't it? It just well, not is. everyone does that, do they? Yeah, they do. It's just different ways of doing it. Okay. He does it in public. Good good on him. Some people do it in a scrum, some people do it behind closed doors. Some people wait till they get home. Do it on Twitter. Go into the spare bedroom, masturbate furiously and then slag people off like <laughs> you will. <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. Probably. You go, through all, your, spare you go through all the bad feedback oh, you've had on Twitter. Taking my head again. I've got two rooms and I don't live with anyone, so why would I go into the spare room to have a wank? Just because it feels naughty. Anyway, Not Andy Lancashire about. says, uh, what are your thoughts on the return of the GB Lions? Don't care. Really? Yeah, that's good. Like, let's, let's stop pretending Ireland, Scotland and Wales play rugby league because they don't. Yeah. Well, they sort of do, don't they? But they don't really. We're not proper Irish Scots or No, no. We've got a lot of people who are from Ireland and Scotland who play rugby league, but yeah. it does not really Your dad play was on the GB Lions. He played for Great Britain, yes. He did, yeah. with Brian Noble and many other In great 84, people. Tour of Australia. Yeah. But you don't care? Uh, I think they'd pretty much be the same team if it was GB or England, to be honest. Well, that tells you everything. Though. Exactly, there you go. Mm. So we need... We, we've different, devolved different it. We've devolved it. it to create more teams. And they get more funding from Sport England if it's an England team rather than 
Great Britain wouldn't get as much funding. Yeah. For but it. I think there should be a Great Britain presence. I think it should be every year, but there should be a cycle of Great Britain tours, like Cic- a genuine cyclical. Nicholas Fletcher, with the talk of a New York team in Toronto in place, as well as the usual league structure change, do you think that the NFL conference division structure could work? For example, four divisions, West, East, Central, Atlantic, plays, uh, this is another sort of statement oh question, uh, play each other twice in your division, play teams outside your division once, then NFL-type playoff system. What do you think? I don't care. I, I've seen this question, and the Atlantic conference is New York, Toronto, then it's Catalan, Toulouse, which is Would that work? the two furthest groups of teams I don't think it works. split by the Atlantic is that what they're saying yeah but there's England in the middle which makes it a bit weird would it work if you were playing for Toronto or New York would you like that John I don't know right Um, Sam Crossley says who is the player you least want to sit next to on a long coach journey someone with bad breath or someone that's too loud well we need names Uh, who's got the worst breath in West Tigers have played with a guy called Andrew Fafita Mm. who He's gone on to be a very good player, but was the loudest guy in the world. And I used to avoid him at times just because I'm quite miserable and grumpy mm. most of the time. No and he was just too loud. Yeah. Mm. You like to shut down, Mark, don't you? We I do, yeah. Like shut down like, a, a like an old compact computer. You can hear it shutting down. Like, <laughs> Worst person to sit next to would be Paul Anderson, who I played with at St. Helens, really? just because he'd take up probably 82% of a two chair seat. Yeah. Gosh. Big man. Um, Willis. What do you talk about, Willis? <laughs> Go do that every he's time. Done, no, he's done that seven he's... times already. Interested in the link between mental toughness and physical performance in different sports. So, to all, what's the toughest, most draining game you've ever played in? And to Will, what's the toughest, most draining game of charades you've ever played in? So John, you toughest what physically? He, but what he did there in the question was separate out mental and physical. Mm-hmm. So I've had mentally taxing games. So the most mentally taxing game might well be different to the most physically taxing. Mm. The the, there's a chance. draining game you've played in. The one that picks up, um, jumps out for me is the million pound game, just because the whole week it was quite hyped up and the match was like quite intense and there was so much on. I think it's when there's a lot on the line yeah. that it's mentally quite draining because yeah. you know how much you, you can lose or... Um, is that fear of failure? I think the 2011 Four Nations final against Australia at Elland Road was was both mentally and physically. Mentally because you had Darren Lockyer, Bill, Billy Slater, Cameron Smith. You had really smart guys playing against you. And then physically because you had Sam Thayday, loads of big dudes. You know, it, it was like a, a you know double threat really. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the most, uh, the toughest, most draining game Sharon's I've ever played in was against your mum, Willis. Uh, Paul Berry says, which has the Paul best... Bearer. Paul, Paul the Berry. The Undertaker's. Oh, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> which has the best structural integrity, a strawberry tart or an egg custard? Draw. Uh, an egg custard. Uh, Adam Anthony Ebre says, which is your favourite Harrow tube station, Will Perry? North Harrow, West Harrow, South Harrow or Harrow on the Hill? Obviously Harrow on the Hill. Because you can look down on people. Plebs at all the other ones. Um, Kirsty Rigby, uh, do you think the RFL would benefit from a partnership with the FA in terms of growing the game? Yes. What's the FA going to get out of it? Would not. Like, why the hell do you want? What's the FA going to get out of it? Yeah, exactly. I think I think the RFL would benefit from a relationship with Sheikh Mansour, but it's not going to happen. Um, David Wharton says, instead of Magic Weekend, what about a nines tournament on Bank Holiday Weekend in Perpignan? 
winner gets two league points or a cash prize as incentive to take. Strong Maybe we get vouchers as cash well. Cash prize. I think my vouchers idea. Game. I think <laughs> I think you should get some vouchers. Do you want a speedboat? Where do you live, Tamworth? Oh, you came fourth, but you do get fifty tokens for Vimto at your local college. Have a have a look what you could have won. Colin Cameron, what potential would the pro club in Oldham have if it was well run by the right people? Mark, can you get your dad to sort this out, please? Um, my dad's probably yeah. He's he still loves Oldham Rugby League Club, but I don't think he'd get involved. Would there be a chance of being successful again? I doubt it. I think the longer. Um, a team like that which was once quite strong and had a great following the longer that it's probably in the doldrums of, of lower leagues the the harder it will be to come back um, there's a really strong amateur um, scene over there there's a lot of good juniors playing but I think not I want to see Oldham back in the top flight purely for because. one reason because of the best chant in world sport which goes something like what, what do, do you do, do with a big pair of breasts? Oldham, Oldham. There you go. Tits. We need to see that back. Tits, yeah. Well, you can say whichever. Tits or breasts. Mammary glands. Whichever what do you, you do with a pair of mammary glands? Oldham. I love mammary glands. Um, this is, I mean, this is, I'm not trying to influence the panel, but I would give this, well, I know we've had some animal debate and so on. This uh, I, I read five times today and, and it hasn't stopped me. I haven't stopped thinking about it. You read it five times. Once yeah. not sufficient. No, but but every after each time, I thought about You'd it for an hour. Yeah, um, how many chickens? And just think about this. Yeah. From from Anthony. Oh, Anthony Thewlis again. Um, so we'll probably this. count this as his question this week. How many chickens would it take to kill an elephant? It, they couldn't. Yeah. It's impossible. Now, let, let, me d- let me just clarify a few things because there's been some responses to this on the Twitter feed. One, if it's undercooked, says Willis. Um, Anthony also replies, would it? Do all living things need chicken to be cooked for it to be edible? And then Willis says, well, the dinosaurs ate everything raw and look what happened to them. These replies aren't the relevant. No, the let's, the chickens are alive. Let's, the chickens are alive. No, They're no. pecking the elephant. But even if the chickens were dead, would, has an elephant got an inclination to eat a chicken? No. No. It's not going to eat a but raw a chicken, chicken. doesn't have an inclination to attack an elephant. Exactly. Yeah, so that's why? my point. So what? Peck around I think, and walk. I eventually think five billion chickens... To suffocate the elephant. No. Well, why would they go for the Because elephant? an elephant's leg, right, it, maybe the circumference is, what, 80 centimetres? going to kill seven chickens. Centimeters. It's going to kill maybe, eight chickens. Maybe six chickens can gather around each leg. Yeah. That's four legs. So you're only ever going to be 24 chickens around the elephant. Right. <laughs> No, but so at ground saying, level if you put 7,000 chickens around the elephant it's going to it doesn't matter you can't breathe no if you put them in a box Will if there's 7,000 chickens where's, in a space where's the venue is it the Sahara Desert no no you, the chickens will just <laughs> the fill the, the chicken the if you put 7,000 chickens in this basement now yes we would suffocate but yeah. an elephant in the Sahara a on a savannah 7,000 chickens could be spread out over you know so, so you don't even think if the chickens would ever in. attack that elephant if they were starving no they just well, died. No, there's, I just there's, no, there's no reference to the whether elephant, they're hungry or not. The elephant. <laughs> are these chickens? These are they chickens hungry? are scared. Well, the elephant would just stamp on the chickens around it. Eventually, the chickens would get dissuaded and leave. Um, Richard Morton, um, what do you think about the pedestrianisation of Norwich City Centre? <laughs> it gives you access to Dixon's. <laughs> <laughs> and Matthew Healy says, can I ask the same question as three weeks ago? Yes. Uh, so our, our winner this week John Wilkin and Mark Flanagan is 
Well, for Wait, me. Can you suggest a couple? Oh, sorry. There's one more question uh, here. Hi, lads. This is from Rivington Chocolates. Uh, hi, lads. <laughs> Firstly, I'm dyslexic, so I've been listening to a podcast, Cat Flaps and Pickets, for the last 14 <laughs> weeks, which mentioned rugby oh. league not once. Anywho, scrums. Can we get rid of them? Yes. And then take uh, they take the piss, especially when teams try and get a penalty for them. Chris. That was a great start, but the question was poor. Yeah, but yeah. The re- you really started well, Rivington. You did, chocolates. but it's well, a question. No. It's when teams start. trying to get... I, it's one of my bugbears. That is, is teams holding the ball into a scrum to get a penalty. Mm. It's the biggest gentleman's agreement. Like, rugby league, you let the ball come out of the scrum. Right, and if we're going to compete, let's compete. But if we're not competing, don't pretend to hold the ball in to milk a penalty. It's pathetic. And just clicking on Rivington chocolates, there's a nice picture with... Chris and his wife there great taste um, with looks like chocolate a, hats looks on looks like a good lad Rivington Chocolates makes handmade chocolates using uh, Kelbert Belgium sustainably produced chocolate chocolates hashtag great taste hashtag handmade hashtag fresh um, the winner this week is hashtag not him <laughs> <laughs> sorry Rivington Chocolates I, you started so well if, it, if only it yeah. kicked on next time uh, a bit like your chocolates <laughs> I'm sure they're great send us some because. Guys, I'm waiting for a winner. Uh, I can't remember you. You're not going with Which the elephants and the. No. I am, yeah. I am as well. I am, yeah. Oh, so it's it's the la- let's just make this clear. This is the last animal fight question. I'm in a reward. But it really, it wasn't just a case of. Uh, no, what was the last the... animal one that won? Um, would, would. Horse. What you rather be? Duck. Duck. <laughs> but this is taking on because I'm thinking about these chickens trying to attack the elephant. You know, is there a scenario where we could make chickens attack the elephant? Who knows? Yeah. It's like 28 days later, mixed in with the Lord of the Flies. And <laughs> animal everything. death match. It's really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> animal de- we should I go to Nosey Safari, Safari Park. Just release a billion chickens into in the, and the see elephant what enclosure and I would, record it. That, what you've just come up with there is the second best thing you've ever said in 18 weeks. Thanks. I would watch Animal Death Match. Now, you keep going about Dave. I would present Animal Deathmatch. I oh, know you would. No, you would do anything. I think a lot of people would watch it. <laughs> Here we go. Who's the hardest in the jungle? Yeah. yeah. Well, let's let's yeah, let's, but no, but you no, but let's drop a crocodile into a shark to... tank. Let's just do it. I, let's just drop a crocodile in there and sit back and watch. You're telling me you wouldn't watch that? Yeah, I, would. <laughs> I would watch. I would watch that. <laughs> you I would watch that. I would watch. I would watch a crocodile <laughs> being lowered into a shark. <laughs> What sort of sick world are we living in? You'd watch it, though, oh, you? You know what I would watch? What? A thousand chickens being <laughs> dropped into an elephant enclosure. No. These are the kind of yeah, but the thing is, the reason why the question the reason chickens. why the question was interesting is because you put in two non-apex predators into an environment where they're not comfortable. So two, a crocodile and a shark, you're expecting fireworks. All right. Let me just find it. So who, who, our winner this week, what's his name? One second. Where is it? Is that, where is it? Here we go. So our winner this week for episode 18 of Whips and Fat Claps, Fat Claps, claps. season <laughs> one, season one, is Anthony Thewlis. Well done, Anthony. Well done, mate. He's going to Origi Bianchi in Macclesfield where they serve chicken and yeah. they don't serve elephant. But they do have a life-size ape available <laughs> for sale. Do. And don't forget to take a fucking picture of what you've bought. Yeah. No one's doing, doing this, no. okay? Tweet yeah. it in. And a picture with Nick Bianchi as well. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Do we like to do the sim bin, Will? Oh, what's going on in the sim bin this week? Uh, People holding the ball into scrums. (laughs) Yeah, I second that. No, you can't do the same thing. Um, Teams trapping the ball in the scrum. That sounds like the same thing. Well, that same thing was said differently. No, just come up with your own thing. 
Why do you not think of this before? Something you can put in there. Uh, World Cup every two years. Why don't you put sulphur in? Put sulphur in. Put your sulphur contract in. (laughs) 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 He's not 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 doing it. (laughs) Mark's putting his sulphur contract in. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Give him back. Give it here.